Welcome to the Chelsea Fancast. I am, of course, Stamford Chidge, and it's another episode tonight of this lovely thing that we've been doing. Uh, really, we started in uh, the beginning of the, la- the first lockdown, but uh, we call it 50 Years of Chelsea, where uh, we go back every week uh, to a-, a season in Chelsea's inglorious past. And we started in 1969-1970, and we are now up to 1993 1994 which of course as many will remember was the first season of Glenn Hoddle as manager and we ended up um, in a rather disappointing cup final at Wembley. Uh, more of that later I should introduce our guests and they have oh, Mr Jonathan Kidd god oh, damn it. Chid, how lovely what a surprise to be on the I can't show. believe I'm seeing you again it's only been a week been a week but you and you haven't changed at all. No I'm still wearing the Actually, I am I'm wearing my Oh, you're, wearing your, you're wearing your Italian. Uh, it's a, no, it's it's, a, it, it's Chelsea, isn't it? Two European cups and all that. Oh, yeah, of course. It's lovely. Do you not like it? It's a lovely T-shirt. I love it, Chid. Yeah. I love. It. It's become my favourite T-shirt, actually. Yeah, I'm going to get one. I'm I'm covetous. Yeah. I'm, uh, yeah. Um, hang on. Who, who makes them? Um, Barons badges. Looking it up. At Barons badges yeah. on Twitter. So right go, go and, yeah. I can't remember the name of the. I think it's Kicks Kickstart or something. Kickoff T-shirts or something. I should plug them really because they are very fine apparel that these people splash out to the uh, unsuspecting public. But good to see you, old Bean, as always. Looking forward Lovely to tonight. To be on the show. Uh, sorry, say again. You looking forward to tonight? No, uh, if I said no, I'm not. That would be foolish of me. It of would. It would, and I wouldn't agree with you. Anyway, uh, we'll hear more from you later. Uh, we also, of course, have uh, who is who is um, really by necessity because Jonathan and myself have uh, very poor memories, uh, uh, whereas this young chap has a very fine memory. Uh, but also, apart, apart from a lot of other things, he was now editing the Chelsea Independent. It's the lovely Mr Mark Meehan. Uh, good evening, everybody. And it seems appropriate we're doing the 93-94 season. And I know we'll talk about the cup final later, but looking out my window for the last hour, observing torrential rain that mirrored the sort of... Or no drubbing at Wembley, which we'll talk about at some point during the show. <laughs> yes, indeed. I did. You know, that, that thought did occur to me, actually. And there were other matches where it absolutely hammered it down. Having watched the season review video uh, the other night, um, yeah, there were a few matches that were doing that. We'll talk more about that later. Now, our last guest uh, is a good old friend of ours. Um, and very appropriate, in fact, that this man is on the show tonight because... Um, I know that he was uh, at Wembley in 1994, getting very disappointed and wet. And I also know that he was at Wembley last night, certainly getting very disappointed and probably a little bit wet, but not as wet as 1994, eh, Tim? No, indeed. It, it was it drizzled afterwards, which sort of matched the mood as you're chewing for yes. non-existent food drinks, you know. Yes. Mizzle. Anyway, Mr Tim Rolls. Uh, now, it's lovely to see you, Tim. We haven't seen you for a while. Um and I, I always feel terrible when we haven't seen you for a while, but there's usually a good reason when we do see you. And that good reason, of course, tonight is that uh, imminently uh, we have another book from you, don't we? We do. It's currently being formatted by our good friend, Mr. Mark Worrell. I've finished writing it. And I'm here partly to talk about the book and also talk about the fact that we're currently crowdfunding the hardback version. We've actually raised the money, so we're definitely going to do it, but I'm still looking for, for more people who might like to back it. Good. Well, I've, I've, I've chucked in my donation, as I always do. I'm sure these boys have as well. You know, I, I had a go, but um, Crowdfunder didn't like me very much on my phone, so I'm going to have another go. OK, I'll add you to the list of computer illiterates. Who are able to... <laughs> no, no, unfair. Unfair. No, but possibly correct. 
I won't shame the people concerned, but there are well-known Chelsea supporters incapable of using Kickstarter. Tim will remember we had this issue with the trust. There's a lot of proper old-school Chelsea who, who, who don't do PayPal, don't do credit cards. Yeah. It's £5 on the nose, mate, at the stall. Nothing else will yeah. do. Yeah. But there you go. Tim, um, this is the bit, really, for you to tell us all about your wonderful book. Uh, and I'd rather hear it from you than me, really. So j- j- tell us what it's all about. OK, well, the book is called Sexton for God. And it relates to the seasons between 1967 and 1971, when Sexton, Dave Sexton came in as manager. And four years later, we won the Cup Winners' Cup. And in that time, we won the FA Cup as well. And it fills the gap, if you like, between the first book, Diamonds, Dynamos and Devils, which covered the Tommy Doherty era, and Stanford Bridge's Falling Down, which covered the um, financial embarrassment and uh, relegation from 1971 to 75. But it's it's been a fascinating book to research and to write because yeah, we we Sexton came in, the club was in turmoil under Doherty, played with players, unhappy players. The first game after Doherty went, we lost. 7-0 at Leeds and Osgood was going around telling journalists we're going to get relegated and the board were desperate to get in a stable manager rather than uh, Doherty who was a great manager I think but was quite a volatile gentleman. Um, Sexton had worked for the club before under Doherty, they got him in, he made within three months he brought in David Webb and Alan Birchnell who were key signings particularly Webb. He Calm things down. John Hollings wanted a transfer. He sorted that out. John Boyle, Peter Osgood. All these people were either agitating for moves or wanted new contracts. Eddie McCready was rumoured to him going. Bobby Tambling. So half the team were unhappy. He sorted all that out. Um, it took a couple of years to get it really the way he wanted it. We didn't do much in 1968 or 69. We got knocked out. FA Cups games, we caught finals we should have won. But he, in 69-70, he, he bought Ian Hutchinson for £2,500. Now, for our younger listeners who may not know what Ian Hutchinson was, Ian Hutchinson was a superb centre-forward that we bought from Cambridge United. From the modern-day equivalent, of probably, I'm guessing, at £25. £25,000. <laughs> 25 uh, quid, Tim, that would be a bit cheap. But, you know, and he was... He was a phenomenal player. He was, he was tall. He was brave. He did long throws. He was probably too brave for his own good. But he brought him in. He played him up front alongside Osgood. And critically, he, he brought in Alan Hudson into the side. And that season, Hudson was about 18, 19. And he'd been in the reserves and he had, he had injury problems. But he brought him in when he had a couple of injuries in the side. And I think... It's generally held that for the last six months of that season, until unfortunately Hudson got injured before the cup final, he was probably as good a midfield player, home produced, as Chelsea have ever had. And I know we've got Ray Wilkins, we've got others who came through the club, but people say just he was was phenomenal. So having seen him, Tim, I would agree completely. He was phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. phenomenal. And he scored, he scored goals, he made goals. The pitches in running with the ball, muddy pitches, which they were nearly every week then. He just skated over it. He was absolutely phenomenal. So we, we reached the FA Cup final in 1970, played Leeds. Hudson, unfortunately, injured his knee um, a few weeks before, two weeks before. Um, but as you know, or as most people will know, we, we drew the first game with Leeds 2 all. We're probably lucky to do it. 
Um, Sexton didn't quite get it right tactically because Eddie Gray, the Leeds winger, made life very difficult for David Webb. But for the replay, he changed it, put Harris on Gray. Harris kicked Gray. Gray was less than uh, effective in the in the second game. And, you know, in probably the dirtiest game in English football history, or dirt, dirtiest high-profile game, we, we ended up winning, winning 2-1 in front of over 28 million TV viewers. I know last night at 31 million, but for a club game, this is the biggest club game audience in British football history. It was a Chelsea-Leeds replay in, in 1970. Leeds were favourites. Leeds were probably one of the very best teams in Europe. But Sexton motivated his team. He, his tactics were excellent. So we won, we won. So we win the FA Cup, first time in the club's history. And we're off to Europe for the Cup Winners' Cup. And we had a couple of games in, in Greece, and um, I think we played, we played, I can't remember who the other side we played was, but uh, we had a couple of games, we got through fairly straightforward. And they'll see us Sophia. Then we had Bruges, who were a very good Belgian side. We lost 2-0 there. And Peter Osgood was suspended for eight games because he been basically kept getting fouled and he kept retaliating. And rather than deal with the foul, the cloggers, the, um, the powers that be decided to punish Osgood. So he came back, his first game for eight weeks was a game against Bruges, where we had to score three goals at least to go through. And, and the Peter Houseman scored, there's sort of five, six, seven minutes to go, and Oscar equalises. And I'm told that the noise at that moment, Jonathan may well have been there, the noise at that moment was one of the loudest ever heard at Stamford Bridge, only surpassed by the cheers when Oscar scored his second goal in extra time to put us three, two up. I've got quotes from about 15 supporters who were there, and they all say it's one of the very, very best nights at Stamford Bridge. But apparently the crowd was only about 43,000 when people would say mm. that perhaps it was about 15,000 more. But, you know, who knows? So we won that game. We beat Man City in the semi-final. We went to Athens. We played Real Madrid, who weren't the great side of sort of 12, 15 years earlier, but were still a pretty good side. And we beat them in a replay. So what Sexton managed to do, we're only bringing in four or five new players. We managed to turn around the side, stabilise the club. We won two trophies. And that, that was in the days when you know, the odd English club won, won trophies. But it wasn't like the 70s when Liverpool and Man United and Forest and Villa were, were picking up trophies. So... He completely transformed the club. I mean, Dockery modernised the club, but only brought in a League Cup. But Sexton, in those four years, so we get to the summer of 71, which is when the book ends, and we are literally sitting at the top of the tree. We, we, we won a European trophy. We had really talented players like Osgood and Charlie Cook and Alan Hudson. We had a solid defence. We had loyal players like Harris and Benetti. The My... Second book, Stamford Bridge is falling down, recounts what happened next. And what happens next wasn't quite so uh, such a happy story. But the, 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 what this book really just tells how Sexton came in, sorted things out, bought defenders Webb and uh, John Dempsey, brought in Hutchinson, brought in Hudson, brought in Keith Weller after we won the FA Cup. It was, it was a great player. One of my favourite players ever, Tim. Yeah, indeed. 
why he well, it was not for this book, I thought it was, it was no. the previous one as to why we sold it. Because no one, no one can ever understand why we sold it. Um, and we ended up, as I say, with, with, with two trophies. And there were players in that side, particularly Osgood and Cook and Bonetti, to be fair, and Hollins and um, Harris, who are fondly remembered half a century on. Mm -hmm. And for supporters, I, I hardly went to any of those games, but people my age and a bit older, that is still one of the most loved teams. I would say, you know, the 77 team, the 84 team, certainly loved, and obviously more modern times. But that side was... It, it could play, it could look after itself, and it could dig in, and it could work. So it wasn't just Flash Harris, and it wasn't just Pragmatist. Well, they went toe-to-toe -to -toe with Leeds, didn't they, in the yeah, final? was proof of that. But the point was, we had, in Oscar Cook and Hudson, we had three players. No other, no other team in the country at that point had three such talented mm. players. But at the same time, you had Wed, you had McCready, you had Harris, who could take it, who would take it to anybody. Yeah. They were they were literally not afraid of anything. Tim, I, my only thought is, <clears throat> I wish you'd written this before we'd started the um, fifty years of Chelsea, because we, as you know, we did uh, from yeah. nineteen seventy, didn't we? And we went all the way through. <laughs> and we had you on, I think, for the uh, the post seventy one years. Yeah, we did, yeah. But no, yeah. This, this, I mean, it's just the way the, the way it works out. It's a slightly strange way to do it to write the second part of a trilogy last. But we are where it's we like are. Star Wars, mate. No, don't worry about <laughs> it. Unfortunately, without the without the George Lucas income to go with it. But, well, yeah, uh, but also without the George Lucas writing, for which we should all be thankful. Indeed, yeah. indeed. But uh, no, so this is basically it's being crowdfunded at the moment. You can go on my Twitter account. You can it'll be tweeted with the Fancast account later. But link yeah. the Kickstarter. Kickstarter I've used twice before. It's a well-known or market-leading crowdfunding site. You can one hardback, which will include. 24 photos, a hardcover, an index, will, and a slip cover. Will, the idea is it will be distributed in early autumn, in, in good time for, for Christmas. We, the printer is someone we know, so a, a Chelsea fan, Barnett, Mark Barnett. All right, so Mark. We're, so we know that they'll, they'll do a good job and they'll do it in a timely manner. Um, and there will be a paperback and there will be an e-book later. But if you want a the sort of flasher version, the hardback version, and which will come out first. Yeah, look on Twitter at my account or the, the fancast one, or you can go to the Kickstarter site and just key in Sexton for God. And that's all you have to do. I say it's <clears throat> 25 quid for a UK copy, 35, I think, for a overseas copy. Okay, well, it'll... It'll sit very proudly next to your other two absolutely superb and fine books. So it's going to be out in the autumn, we reckon, yeah? It will be, be distributed in the autumn, but the crowdfunding closes in uh, on the 20th of July. Right. So if you want a hard co hardback copy, go on Twitter or go on the Kickstarter site or message me or whatever. Uh, and um, as I say, we've raised the £5,000 minimum, so it's definitely happening. It, but if people want a hardback, now is the time to to back it. And they get their name in the book and you sign it, right? They get their name in the book, I sign it, and I'll dedicate it to, to whoever they want. just means last time we had 350 books on our kitchen table, oh, which is oh, oh. Uh, terribly well with uh, my, my very long-suffering better half, who I should say, as she did with the first book, has done the cover for this one. I, I did yeah. wonder that. I did wonder if Nikki had done that. It's a it, brilliant it, it's cover. Paper. 
There's a painting of a, of a photo of the banner of Sexton for God outside Fulham, outside the town hall after we won the um, FA Cup in 1970. And she did a painting and then she messed around in Photoshop and produced it looking like that. Yeah, I think lovely. it looks brilliant. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. Really striking cover, actually. Yeah. yeah. Jim, I just asked, what's the next one going to be? Have you got any plans for that? You're going back even further? No, I'm actually going into the wacky world of music for the next one. Oh. Ah. Ah. So it's going to be about 1979, which I think I probably saw more gigs that year and probably bought more singles that year than any other year. Uh, and I've got a couple of friends who've been egging me for years to do a music book. So I'll do that and then come back to Chelsea, but probably something a bit different. Uh, also I, I, happens to be my favourite year for music. Well, that was the it, year of my awakening, if you see what yeah. I mean. Well, there's, it's just, we're, this, we're not here to talk about that, but there's, there's so many good records made. There, there are, there are. So many good tours, so many bands touring. Everyone was touring, all, yeah, all the yeah. post-punk bands. I'm surprised you didn't take the easy route and just do like a kind of a, uh, what do they call it, a compilation of the World Cups of... <laughs> The Beatles, oh, well, the Who, the, the, they were hilarious. We used Motown, to love those. No, no, no. This, there will be a World Cup of 1979 records because I'm interested to sort of get... Oh, not for, uh, yeah. I cannot wait for that. <laughs> yeah. Announce yeah, it now, one. Tim. Announce it now. Well, I've, I've, I've got 128 records already, so we're all ready to Brilliant. go. Brilliant. Oh, mate, I cannot wait. Uh, well, there we go. So added bonus tonight. Not only do you get to hear about uh, 1993, <laughs> 1994... But you're also going to get to, well, you've also just got to hear about Tim's new book, Sexton for God. So as Tim was saying, 20th of July is when the uh, crowd funding on uh, um, Kickstarter finishes. So if you want a hard copy of the book uh, and you want you, uh, Tim to sign it for you and you get your name in the book. And be a bit, it, it, I mean, you know, it's a brilliant book. It'll be a brilliant book without any of that. So just go and do it. Uh, 20th of July, Tim's Twitter, at Tim Rolls or, or, or the Chelsea Fancast uh, on the, when we plug the show tonight we'll have that on it so there you go right now down to the business at hand which of course is the season that was 1993-94 now as you all remember from the last episode uh, we left it with Chelsea in kind of mid-table mediocrity with a mid-table mediocrity manager called Ian Porterfield who got the uh, got the tin tack uh, before the end of the season and uh, the reason why we ended it in mid-table mediocrity was Dave Webb good old David Webb which uh, who Tim was just mentioning a minute ago scorer of the uh, 1970 FA Cup final replay winner uh, took over as manager and shepherded us uh, out of relegation danger and safely into mid-table and having done such a brilliant job Ken Bates mugged him off and told him where to go and that's pretty much where we left it now before we get into it uh, we always do. Tim Tim probably loves this as well. We all love this. It, it's kind of our kit watch. Every every year we have a look at what the kits were. And I'm delighted to tell everybody we have a change of kit this season. The new home kit. I have to say, JK, I quite like this one. Oh, me too. I quite one, like one of this the, one. One of the iconic kits. I think yeah. it's also because it, it's also attached to getting to the cup final. But um, uh, I love the bit of red. I know people say, no, we haven't got my, no, we don't anything to do with the red. There's red in the badge, little bits of it, and I love it. I think it works really well. I was disappointed, though, that we seem to play a lot of games in the blue um, with the red socks yes. from the wake, which bemused me completely. And actually, I suppose the purist would say, yeah, but, you know, there's a bit of red in it and it seems to work. 
but um, uh, I could white never quite socks. understand. White socks, JK. Always white, white socks. socks, Chidge. Always white socks. Absolutely. But even I can I can cope with a little bit of blue on the top or whatever, but it needs to be essentially white. But the third kit was the one that really did it for me. I really I really like this kit, even though it was a little bit. Um, it's um, like a licorice all sort, mate. Yeah, yeah, because it's yellow and uh, I was was it black? I don't know why the, they were. Was it dark blue? But it was a bit similar to the Sheffield Wednesday one, which once again is because Umbro were very good at just using the same kind of template for various clubs and Wednesday and Everton seemed to be those, which I felt was always a bit poor from Umbro. Personally. This is the third kit because we've still got the uh, yeah, the yeah, red, the yeah, white the red, yeah. shirt with the red pinstripes and red shorts for the... Official away kit. Official away kit, which we played in a few times. Can explain why, if we weren't in Europe, we needed a third kit? Is there any... any... Once again, was it a marketing thing? Because people oh, did buy they it. Must, they must... Oh, no, sure they did. I yeah. did quite myself. But... No, me, I agree with you. I liked it. I, know, well, I like the diff- I like the weirdness of it, because it always bemuses me why, who comes up with yellow and black? You know, you just think, what, what's that? Where, well, where Borussia that Dortmund, maybe? Yeah, yeah, hey, could hey, could be that, dude. Yeah, but what connection? But Mark's, again, Mark's got what, his either he's either, I don't know. I love the way that Mark puts his hand up. Face. Mark's thinking face. He's got his pencil up. He's got his pencil up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mark, he's about to say something. Yeah. Now, what I was going to say is because obviously the second kit we'd already used the previous season before, and I think it was a marketing thing by Chelsea. But I think the fact that they've brought an away kit out the previous year, they're bringing out a new one for this year. I, I love the yellow and black kit. Mm-hmm. You know. I thought it was great. And Jonathan is absolutely right. It was exactly the same kit that Sheffield Wednesday used the season before. And I think they wore it against us. Yeah. <laughs> so all, all Umbro cleverly did is just remove the Sheffield Wednesday badge. It was a great kit. Yeah, and, and it again, was, it was. The biggest compliment I can pay, pay to it is obviously, Chidge mentioned at the start, I got involved with the Chelsea Independent and we actually had the Chelsea Independent football team. And that was the kit we went and wore because we loved the kit so much. It's a great, it's a great kit. And now I think Dean Mears sort of picked one up. I think they cost several hundred pounds, you know, on eBay just to pick one up because it's it's a rare kit. Yeah. Mm. That's that's kind of what I don't get with Nike is why they don't think in terms of looking back at the old kits, but not even not even doing the same kit, but just realizing that as fans, we really like something that's that's it could be completely off the wall, but we like it if it if it looks good. And we'd buy it, and yet they don't. They, they, they'll, they. I don't know what they come up with. They, well, I suppose they do from time to time. They, uh, they do focus groups, J.K. As, oh, do they? Well, so you end up with a camel. Of course you do. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes a football kit. You know, but there you go. I love all yeah. this, and there's. I mean, apart from all that, I mean, because we love our kits so much, we love talking about it. Um, I mean, obviously, it wasn't so relevant back in the seventies when they had like one kit for eight years or something. That's not true. They had lovely kits then too, and we did talk about them. But uh, uh, anyway, we've partnered with uh, Three Retro dot com on our fifty years of Chelsea series, and uh, they have a superb collection of Chelsea retro gear, and they're offering ten percent off when you use the Three Retro Ten code. And if you order over fifty quid of merch, you get free UK delivery. Uh, now. The if you go to our Twitter and Facebook post when we post up this show, there will be a link to the three retro site there where you can take advantage of that code. So there you go. Now, as always, we start with uh, the ins and outs of the season. Um, I'll just whiz through them quickly because I know Mark's got uh, some hilarious. Cu- I mean, Mark sent me some notes which I've now added to my notes, J.K., which you won't have. Oh but, no. Uh, 
don't worry. Uh, it'll, it, the, the, there's a good reason for it. Am I allowed to chip in with your observations? You are, yeah, yes, you like to through them quickly. Always, though. yeah, yeah, very well, very, very quickly, because because uh, okay. uh, we, I'm aware of how long we took to do this last week. Yeah, but it was fun. Though. Yeah, I agree. Okay, yeah. yeah Can I just I, say we're obviously going to talk about the fact that Hoddle was appointed manager. We are. That's just the first thing. Can I just ask a question? Do the guys first, think first or machine. know whether I know whether in fact um, he had already been appointed by Bates, and this is why Webb was so summarily thrown out of the club in a way that was just uh, ridiculous because we all thought and in fact there was a rumor at the time that Webb had been offered the job and whether this was absolute just a complete rumor or whether whether in fact Hoddle had already been asked and this is why he was so unkeen to uh, that was part of his plan from earlier on because he'd already tapped Hoddle up was this a possibility anybody know Mark? guys you know I, I, I think it's a distinct possibility um uh, that, you know, Bates probably, even if he hadn't asked him, I think he would have had Hoddle in mind. Uh, but I think Porterfield had performed so badly in the second half of the season, in the first year of the Premier League, I don't think Bates could, you know, you know, hand, handle the relegated. So he yeah. brought Webb in as an emergency measure. But I think Webb got the sense, you know, that he might have had a shoe-in for the job because he did so well. But it actually got announced in the press. I know we talked about it in the last show. The day we played Sheffield United on the last day of the season. So the press leaked it then, even though Hoddle wasn't officially confirmed until the 4th of June. All right. So we had already done it that way. I mean, yeah. I, yeah. I think the other you said that Webb didn't, it? Webb didn't turn up then, did he? To the, he didn't turn up for the second yeah. half of Sheffield yeah. United. Yeah. And the relationship with Hoddle went back at a, a prior time to that. Because Hoddle actually turned out for Chelsea Reserves uh, a couple of years earlier. When, I think... When he, I think he'd come back from, um, I think he'd come back from Monaco perhaps before he took the Swindon job on. I think he was recovering from injury and was getting treatment at Stamford Bridge. Yes, I remember. And, and he turned out in a reserve game against Watford that Chelsea won 5 1. Now, I don't know, you know, if anyone listening to the show was actually at that game because the reserves they used to get a couple of hundred. But the relationship between Hoddle and Colin Hutchinson, ironically, continued after that so i think it was hutchinson was actually suggested hoddle as an alternative right and clearly bates probably done he'd done so well with swindon to an extent that of course when swindon came up they weren't the team that they'd been under hoddle because he was so good at, at, at making them play his way yeah now i mean it's interesting actually because there some of the reading that i did uh it was said that it was like the the, the worst kept secret in football that hoddle was going to be the manager so i think the leaks make sense. So I'm going to just skim through all of these very quickly, and I'm going to go back to Hoddle because there's something I want to, a couple of things I want to pick up on that. Just really ask you lot because I, I didn't have my head in the game at the time. Uh, but Glenn was appointed manager. Graham Ricks was transferred from Dundee. Andy Dow from Dundee as well. Jakob Kjellberg from Silkeborg and uh, Gav- Gavin Peacock from Newcastle. This, these, the big yeah. signing really was Gavin Peacock from Newcastle yeah. for 1.25 million. Now, later in the season, we signed Mark Steen from Stoke City for one and a half million. That was in uh, end of October. That we will talk about later because that has huge significance for the season. Uh, now, outgoing uh, are also quite interesting because. Uh, big nose goes Andy Townsend, who I've been absolutely bigging up recently and loving for his performances for the team, much to everybody else's chagrin. So, uh, and I was actually very upset when he went at the time, to be honest. Uh, anyway, he left. He went to Villa to go and win trophies uh, for two point one million. Uh, very sadly, also we lost, and I remember J.K. saying, lamenting this last week. Graham Stewart went to Everton. 
Uh, Ian Pearce went to Blackburn. And then later in the season, as in November, Dave Besson went to Southampton and Steve Livingston went to Grimsby and Damian Matthew went to Crystal Palace. Obviously, the, the, in those days, there were two transfer windows, a bit like now, but in different times of the season. So it was kind of August, September, or July, August, September. And then we had kind of around January, February times, I recall. But there you go. Uh, now, um, Hoddle, on his arrival... Uh, to the club, I said, my aim is to be successful, as successful as I possibly... I'm not going to do the Glenn Hoddle voice, but uh, my aim is to be successful... He does say them things a lot, doesn't he? That's one of his affectations. Yes. I never said them things. I never said them things. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I never touched her. No, Your Honour, allegedly. Anyway, my aim is to be as successful as I possibly can. The club has not had much success recently, and I'll be trying to win us some silverware. But it is important how we get success. I wouldn't want to get it by playing dreadful football. The principle of winning by playing good football means a great deal to me. And the reason I, 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 I was attracted to that quote, because I think that that's really kind of underpins the huge change we're about to see, although it does take a while to get going, as we'll find out. Um, my question to you lot, and, and Tim and Mark and JK, I don't mind who pitches in, but don't all do it at once. Um, do you remember there being a bit of scepticism about signing Hoddle? Given given the links he had with Spurs, and also his 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 only job had been at Swindon as a manager, really, hadn't it? Can I chip in? First? You can, J.K. Uh, no, I was I was pleased because um, he'd done so well at Swindon, and uh, he appeared to have um, modern ideas about the game. Um, and uh, midfield diamonds, that kind of thing. So I I was pleased, but then you know I'm like a little. Um, um, I'm a happy bunny when these things happen because you just think, well, what's going to... The fact that he played for Spurs, I didn't have a problem with because as we always go on, I'm I'm not a, a Spurs hater. You love I'm Spurs, a, don't you, really? I'm a lead, I, don't, I don't love Spurs, Chief. <laughs> Thanks for saying that. I don't love them. That's but, a, there we go. There's a fat I, world that's been issued on JK on Twitter in about three <laughs> hours' time. But no, I, yeah, I, I, uh, I'm a Leeds hater. As I gave... I gave uh, Tim a bit of a hard time for embracing a Leeds, <laughs> chatting about a Leeds chap at the England game the other day, just because, because uh, um, uh, I, I still can't quite bear it, you know, that somehow we're tolerating them. But, um, but yeah, I'm, um, uh, no, so I didn't have a problem with that at all. No, I was really, you know, we were always happy when, and I have to say, I found Webb's style of play very rustic. It was a lot of long balls, chasing long balls and, ball being booted heavily out of defence, which was absolutely fair enough for stopping them from being relegated. But he didn't fill me with any delight that he was going to possibly be the manager the following year because I thought it's going to be more of the same. And uh, I felt the club was attempting to renew itself. And to, to have Hoddle involved, who had done wonders with with a with getting a, a you know a, a team from the the second division up. Sorry, I should say the the um, the first division because now we're in the Premier League. Um, I thought was a really positive thing. And also, uh, he was a brilliant player. But as we were to discover, I mean, I've read Tony Cascarino's book and Tony Cascarino is is unbelievably scathing about his uh, his belittling of the players when he managed them by, by being so much more skillful than them. But I really enjoyed him coming onto the pitch and playing. I loved watching him because he was a great player, Hoddle. So it isn't always the case that a great player ends up as a great manager in fact frequently not but in this instance he'd done really well at Swindon and I thought this is really a sign of of, of things to come I was really looking forward to the season as a consequence mm. Mark yeah I welcomed Hoddle's appointment uh and again the announcement of that Sheffield United game I, di I didn't see much in terms of dissent from Chelsea fans one or two I think the turning point and we will talk about it later 
Uh, there were a few murmurs about him being Tottenham. And the real test is when Chelsea play Tottenham. And we beat them later on in the season 4-3 in a remarkable game. And there's one moment in that game where Hoddle high-fives Dennis Wise when Chelsea score. John Spence scores. So I think that was probably the turning point. If anyone thought he was still, you know, still Tottenham, you know, that probably sort of like sealed the deal with a lot of Chelsea fans, beating them 4-3 in that game. Now, I welcome them. The only other thing to say about David Webb as well, there's an absolutely brilliant quote with, you know, uh, with David Webb going, because um, obviously Bates says to David Webb, you know, like Red Adair, I'll give you a call if we need any fires being put out in future. But clearly Webb had the hump. And he says back to Bates, is the difference is I, meaning David Webb, kept the fire burning in this club. You know, <laughs> <laughs> a little bit back to Bates. Like, yeah. Uh, and the other thing about Townsend is, is like, there, there, were, there were hard points at Townsend, like we talked about him last week, you know. For, for every Crystal Palace brilliant second half performance and every great goal against Leeds in QPR, there are other games he went missing. And I think the other thing that worried me about Townsend, other than saying, which pissed off a lot of Chelsea fans, he was going to win trophies. So we can talk about the Villa game later when him and Saunders get a load of stick. He also said he didn't feel inspired playing in the blue shirt as much as he felt playing in the green of Ireland. Yeah, which an- another, yeah. He doesn't help that, himself, does he? It, no, he doesn't. Nothing at all. Yeah. Anyway, Tim, I mean, you know, as far as Hoddle is concerned, I mean, I, 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 I was less myopic in those days, perhaps, is what I should say, which which astonishes me considering how, you know, rat, ranty I was at that age. But uh, I, I, it's kind of weird because I loved Glenn Hoddle as a player. Perhaps there'll be a fat war, fat war on me later, won't there, JK? But I loved him as a player, even though he was brilliant, a Spurs brilliant. player. Brilliant, brilliant. Because, I mean, player. I mean... Appropriately, because we, you know, we were talking about England earlier. You know, I was a massive England fan as well, and I and I loved it when he played for England. I was really pissed off that idiot England managers didn't understand his talent. I loved him, so I was really excited. I was as excited as him coming to us as a player as I was uh, as a manager. Although, you know, really didn't know much about his managing capabilities. But where did you stand on it? I think it was a it was a, a brave appointment, but it was the right appointment. I think you know, as others have said. Under Porterfield, we were pretty, pretty turgid football, and Webb was there to firefight. And it did, well, in retrospect, he lifted the club, and it was part of the, the great transformation that, that came around the club. And he, he was a brilliant player, and I think there was this thing, and it happened at all his clubs and at England, that he had more skill than the players yes. he, he was managing, and he didn't hide it. You know, the way he could control the ball, the way he could volley the ball, and all that, half of his players clearly couldn't do that. But accepting that, he did try to play more attractive style of football. I think it took a while to get it sorted. And he obviously had some dead wood at the club that he wanted to get rid of. But I, I thought it was a good appointment. I don't think there was a the, the sort of Tottenham thing. I don't remember that being much of an issue. I, mean, I just remember we were getting a positive, promising young manager and feeling good about it. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, I mean, if you think about it, if you take our minds back to the day, to the time, Ian Porterfield, Glenn Hoddle. Bit of a no-brainer, really, isn't it? Indeed, indeed. Yeah. Um, I mean, the other interesting thing, Mark, you know, one, one of the things that Hoddle, I mean, obviously this is easier to say with the benefit of hindsight, but he was to bring in some sh- huge revolutionary changes to the club because he'd had all that time with Wenger in Monaco. So, you know, uh, diet. He was a big fan of the Ajax uh, system, the way... That they used to run their club, so he introduced three-five-two sweepers, wing backs, 
all of these kind of things. So a, a real revolution was about to take place. Um, but Mark, um, I, I, I had it revealed to me by your email today that you were, in fact, um, you know, uh, an ITK man in those days. And you, you have some ITK rumours about, uh, or, or maybe they're more than rumours, about who Chelsea were after uh, in that uh, summer. I would never claim to be a person in the know. This is when I was reading up on sort of like, you know, the season today. But, you know, and Tim does this really well, sort of like in obviously his book, that all these players Chelsea get linked with, you know. And we, we got linked with Tim Flowers, who went to Blackburn Rovers. We got linked with Julian Dix, who went to Liverpool. We got linked with Duncan Ferguson, who joined Everton. And we got linked with Owen Jess. And God knows where Owen Jess ended up. So even back those days, like this boring stuff on social media now that drives JK mad, is people <laughs> trying to make a living out of like linking Chelsea with every player under the sun. So it was no different in Hot Hoddle's day. It wasn't indeed. And uh, of course, the other thing is that Porterville uh, revealed that he, well, he said that he never signed Robert Fleck or Gordon Jury, clearly covering his his back there. <laughs> and uh, again, and this this got us into a bit of trouble. I'm sure this is what, what we ended up getting sued by Ken Bates. For. <laughs> you got sued by Ken Bates. Yeah, for, for repeating another one. Yeah, yeah. You repeated a libel. Yeah, because I think I think Porterfield got sued by Bates in one of the Sunday papers, and we repeated what Porterfield had said in the Sunday papers about having no involvement in jury and Robert Fleck. So Bates sued us uh, at the Chelsea Independent, and he sued the Red Card fanzine as well. Uh, so in return for pulping the August '93 edition of the Chelsea Independent. <laughs> Which is that one there? With Gavin you didn't pulp them all, then, Mark. <laughs> we didn't pulp them all. <laughs> uh, in return for pulping all copies of the fanzine, uh, we also had to um, buy five hundred pounds of Chelsea pitch owner shares. <laughs> Brilliant! He drives a hard negotiating bargain, but in return, to his credit, um, he invited me, and I was editor the following season. The editor at this time was a guy called Ross Fraser. Um, he invited Ross Fraser and I to do an interview with him. And by my lasting memory of being going up to Ken's office, he had this huge sign behind his desk in his office at Stamford Bridge. I think where Canaletto's, the restaurant is now, that's where Bates' office used to be. And this huge sign as you walk into the room, which basically says, the Romans did not build empires by having meetings. They killed anyone who got in their way. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's how the Chelsea fan cast is run, as we all know. Um, brilliant. Um, I, there's only one thing I will add to this is that, um, you know, we did mention that Dave Besson goes to Southampton in uh, the beginning of November. Uh, and, of course, this was the, uh, the well, in the pre-season, this was the time of the famous salad cream incident where he, he managed <laughs> to injure his foot by dropping a uh, a jar of salad cream on it. So he couldn't even, he couldn't even catch a, 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 a jar of salad cream. Poor old Bess, because he had a bit of a rough time, didn't he? Uh, Why did Portsfield. he have a jar of salad cream with him in the bath? Was it in the bath? Wasn't it? I thought you just said it was in the bath. No. no. Oh, I've got misunderstood. He'll Sorry, sue you. But... He'll sue you for libel, mate. <laughs> and we'll have to pulp the show. Was it someone else who can pulp the show? And then, then you'll reveal a cassette of it in years. I will. I will. I will. Cassette. That's very... Uh, cassette. I know. I'm trying to keep in the mood of the 19, 1993. No, it won't. it'll be a 78 long player. No, it'll be a, a roll of of wax. <laughs> All right, um, let's get into the season. Um, I, I, and Tim, Tim, Tim's probably. I mean, the last time Tim was on here, we weren't really doing notes for this because we just did it all off the cuff as part of the, uh, 
you know the main shows but I, I i now do a lot of homework as you can see and i i kind of chapter it tim i chapter parts of the yeah. season and the first the first chapter is slow start what a surprise um but actually it was kind of weird because we had this thing called a makita the makita cup which is like it's funny isn't it back in 93 94 i mean it happens all the time now with the intercontinental cup we play in the states and things all these daft trophies they have on on pre-season summer tours to exotic places but uh, in 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 93 94 the exotic location was white hart lane who hosted the makita cup where we played ajax and drew one all with them uh, and then we won on penalties unlike england uh, and then we played Spurs in the final. There's there's no sense at all that this was rigged for the uh, the, the domestic side to get to the final at all. Uh, but we absolutely hammered them. And uh, Hoddle was playing. He laid on an assist for Cascarino, who got a hat-trick, a really good hat-trick. And there was another great uh, Gavin Peacock goal as well. And Hoddle was the player of the tournament. Did any of you not go to this? No. I, I just knew it would be you, JK. I knew it would be you. <laughs> It created a terrible... I don't know how I got hold of a ticket. I got given a ticket. It created a terrible false dawn, though, because we were so good and Cascarino was so good. And I, and, and the Evening Standard even had a picture of us w- with the trophy, which I framed. I still have to this day. I was so up for this. They played so well. They were so good. And Cascarino, I totally thought, come, this is going to be great. We're going to, that's a new manager. We're going to, it's the season. Yes, it's all going to happen. So don't tell me, JK, in, in, in a parallel universe, there would have been a podcast in 93, 94, and you'd have said, that's it. They're not going to lose another game all season. <laughs> exactly, kid. I would have been that excited. Yes. And I'd have said, we're going to win everything. We're going to win all four <laughs> trophies. We're up for I don't even know what they are, but we'll win them. Yes. Well, we did. We played marvellously, completely marvellously in that game. Brilliant. And I just thought, wow, it's worked so well. The new manager's come in, he's made it work. Wow. Well, you know, that being the case, chaps, I mean, huge anticipation. Obviously, huge first game, proper game, Premier League game of the season was Blackburn at home. And uh, I would imagine, I mean, I have to also uh, raise my hand apologetically here to the listeners that this is the, um, the, as you know, I've been by this stage kidnapped by a very young, beautiful woman who was, uh, I shall tell you later, actually, because it features in the notes, uh, who was to become my wife. And I was living in Winchester and pretending I didn't like football. So I was AWOL for this season. So you're going to be relying uh, firsthand on, uh, well, first hand for live games, uh, you know, at the, st- at the matches from these three, not me. But uh, even I was quite excited, Hoddle arriving and everything else. But it was the biggest opening day gate for 15 years, apparently. Um, I should have my Bounder Friday open, shouldn't I? And I can tell you how many it was, but... Uh, uh, I've uh, very remiss of me not to have it open. It should be it should be always open on any Chelsea fans computer, you know, to be referred to at all moments. Uh, but anyway, as I've been faffing around and filling so expertly, I can now tell you that the actual attendance at the match uh, was uh, twenty nine thousand one hundred eighty nine. So, yeah, big crowd for those days. Um, Peacock so well, Jake. Thank you, Jake. I learned building so well in the gap. I know. Well, I I learned from the master, mate. I learned from Aaron Paul. Wow, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, Peacock scores on his debut. We're loving that. And then Blackburn ruined the party. Ripley uh, scores, and then Newell got a a, a late winner. Um, Mark, you were there, I presume. No, what? This is the first first day game I'd probably missed. I, I was actually away in Sri Lanka. Yeah, so I, I didn't get back until the QPR game. So I was away for three weeks and got back for the QPR game and we win 2 0. Yeah, so that's the first first day home game I missed for quite a while. I don't know. Bloody plastics, mate. Tim, oh, were you there? 
I, I was I was there. Yeah, yeah. And twenty nine thousand was a decent crowd. It's interesting that within two home games we were down to sixteen thousand, which says something about the volatility of the support and the way that we started. The thing to bear in mind is I think Blackburn, looking at it, did finish second in the league. Yeah. So what was a bad result at the time wasn't in retrospect such a bad result because Ripley was a good player, just Wilcox was a good player. They had Shearer up front, Mike Newell, so they were a decent side. Very good side. Very yeah, good they side. were. So it wasn't yeah. not quite as bad as it may look on paper. But yes, I was there suffering with the others. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I mean, Tim's right. Blackburn, of course, go on and win the title in a couple of seasons' time. And, of course, they had a very, very good Alan Shearer. They've also got our old our old boy, uh, Graham Lasso, playing for them at the time. Uh, Shearer, Shearer wasn't playing in this match uh, for some reason, possibly, okay. in, possibly injured, I would imagine. But there you go. Now, I'm just going to whiz through this. The mistake I made last week, Tim, uh, was to just... We analysed every match. And I think if we do that tonight, we'll still be here tomorrow. So well, I'm just going to. I'm going to. Some of the results. Would you really want to put yourself through that? No, but I'm going to. I'm just going to whiz through a batch of matches and then, um, you know, stop when I get to one. The ones I've highlighted in yellow are ones I think we can really talk about. But if there's anything you really want to talk about in any of the ones that I whiz through, just put your hand up and I'll and I'll I'll let you in. All right. So next match is Wimbledon away. Uh, Dennis Wise scores. It's one all. And then Fashionu scores for the Dons. A really scrappy goal, as I remember. Mark's already got his hand up. Started oh, no. for ten mark. I'll, I'll, I'll carry on. I'll, I'll come to the Spurs right. game. Well, you you can and I, JK. Can I speak about that now. No, I'm going to run through them. I'm going to run through them first, right. and then I'll right. bring you in. So right. Wimbledon one-one, Ipswich away, we lose one-nil. Uh, an Ian Marshall goal. Uh, QPR at home, we get our first win. Uh, and uh, the thing I noticed about that, I mean Peacock and Cascarino scored, so Peacock uh, gets his second goal for the club. The thing I really noticed about that was uh, Dennis Wise was already looking in good form, actually. Um, Didn't and- he put him on the on the wing though? Once again, where he'd been playing in midfield before, he seemed to play more on the wing this season. He did. He did. It also made me realise look at some of the goals. What a cracking left foot he had as well as a right foot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's it. He put him back to the wing. And I mean, some one of you later will tell me what happened with Eddie Newton because it was interesting because Eddie was on the wing, wasn't he, a lot last season. Um, and as you said, uh, Wisey was in midfield. See, my, my thoughts were that actually Townsend going kind of liberated Wise in a sense. But actually, the reality is it's just Hoddle just looked at him and said, you're a winger, mate. Go and play on the wing. Yep. Yeah, interesting, isn't it? Anyway, then we get to Spurs. Uh, always a must-win match or not lose match. Even in those days, it's one all. Uh, and Wise, uh, great ball to Cascarino, one nil. Uh, and then this is this has got to be talked about. Uh, there was a penalty given for a dreadful dive by Sheringham. Clearly, in 1993-94, the Premier League stars had not learned how to dive properly like Sterling does. It was appalling, and and he gave a penalty. So. Presume you were a few of you, if not all of you, were there. Mark's got his hand up first. I know JK yeah. was coming too. Yeah, I, no. was there. I think there's two things that sort of struck me about that, and and it probably sort of like appears more often during the course of the season. Firstly, uh, there was only twenty seven thousand White Hart Lane that night, uh, and I've never been in more of a building site during during the games like like the, the Chelsea section. So we, I think we had a slightly reduced allocation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, be on the concourse at half time. They were building the new stand at that end, and everywhere you went, there was just mud and water. It was like filthy. Is that the one thing that struck in my mind? And then, secondly, even though the penalty was up the other end, and we played really well that night, and Cascarino um, scored for Chelsea, 
is you could see even from the Chelsea end what a blatant dive Sheringham did to get that penalty with five minutes to go. And we should have won that game. We were the better team that night. Indeed, yeah, we were. Once again, Mark, thank you for jogging my memory. Absolutely right. Remember the the uh, the building site that it was. Absolutely bizarre. I mean, if, nowadays health and safety wouldn't have allowed anybody near it. But uh, yeah, there we were. See, and it was. It, I, well, I have to say, I like what they did with the ground. Ultimately, I thought they 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 it was really worth it for them. I know there was a very was small capacity in comparison, but it just it was they 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 built it well. It was a good, very good place to watch the football from that that. High, high up there at, uh, at at White Hart Lane, um, you always felt that you were you had a good view. Um, but I was actually wanted to talk to you about the the Wimbledon match because um, uh, when I worked period when they were at Palace because they were at Palace all the time because they they remember the their they their what was his name the bloke who was their chairman had sold the Ron Nose or uh, Sam Man. Samerman had sold yeah. the ground, hadn't he? And they, so they were at Palace. And bizarrely, I was doing lots of work, lots of voiceovers for LBC at the time. And they had a box at, um, at uh, Crystal Palace. And I went to a large number of, of Don's games midweek or even the odd Saturday that, uh, that I could get to. And actually, no, mostly midweek. And um, so I had a sort of affection for them because I just loved the way the... I love the, the the once again the rustic approach to just booting the ball up the pitch and fashionably just fouling everybody, just just scragging everybody to score, which he did with great great regularity. Um, so actually, that was a, a that was a decent game that one, the one when I remember it because they were different. They were a difficult side to play against, but Wisey was absolutely excellent as he was in a, a large number of games in the season. He was, uh, as you know, I'm a big fan of Wise, and I, I thought. Um, and we were saying that he didn't perhaps play as well last year, but I felt I felt he uh, he started coming into his own this season, and uh, good goals and um, really contributing to the strength. He had great pinpoint accuracy with crosses and corners as well. Mm. It, it's uh, it's um, it's it was a delight. I always enjoyed having him in the side. I didn't like it when it was obviously when he was suspended, but. Uh, um, but he was, uh, and he, you know, and he could he could look after himself, which is always a plus, which I liked about Dennis immensely. So, Tim, uh, any memories from any of those? Um, I, Wimbledon was the only away game I did that season, so I do remember that because so, it was at Selhurst Park, and it was only eleven thousand there, and a good half of those were Chelsea supporters. So it was a it was a sort of strange game. No, it was just we we scored in most of those games, so it wasn't quite as bleak as um, as. A couple of months later, but no, there was no, nothing really that, that stood out. I mean, the surprise, really, I guess, from a crowd point of view, is we play QPR in a local derby. There's twenty thousand two hundred people there. Yeah, but That's not... but twenty thousand of them would have been Chelsea fans. Yes, okay, to be but even so, you know, I, it's, it, that's an astonishingly low crowd, given that the, the even then our, our noisy neighbours from Loftus Road. You know, didn't like us very much. You thought they might have brought more than that. Somehow. I mean, just just to, as a slight tangent, as I've got I've got bound to Friday up, and of course, as we know, they always do the attendances and the uh, the average home attendance. I mean, now actually, I, I ought to preface this because I mean, you know, J.K. and Mark were talking about uh, Spurs not being at capacity because they were rebuilding. Rebuilding is a common feature this year. There was a lot of rebuilding going on, and 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 we're we're about to do that too. And I'll I'll get into that at the time. Um, but I'm wondering if this this also affected the attendances for for everybody, not just us. 
Although it does seem an anomaly, an, an anomaly because you've got this brand spanking new Premier League. Everybody's going mad for it. Anyway, our highest attendance this year, and I don't know whom it was against, but it was 37,000. The lowest was 8,923. But the average attendance was 19,382. Away, uh, the average was 23,000. So that's interesting. Uh, so maybe it was just us. I don't know. don't know what you... I think when the Premier League opened... The clubs were under pressure to, to, you know, all seats of stadiums, improvements, all this sort of but stuff. But was that the Taylor report? The Taylor report come out yet? I think I think it it had. Uh, my my memory is that clubs were given a period of time at which they had to make yeah. transformation, and that's why if you watch the, the season's highlights, there's quite a few grounds where yeah. one side of it is it, a building site, and that's certainly affected capacity but the other thing was as you say despite the premier league only being two years old most clubs weren't getting massive support if you watch there's an everton game on there where goodison appears to be half empty and it's just remarkable how low the crowds were sort of only 26 27 years ago i mean is it i mean i know we're diverting off here but why not this is what this show's all about i mean you know my my memories of it are that that 1990 what happened? Well, let's go back a bit further. Hillsborough, on the one hand, I think would have put a lot of people off going. I think they would have just drawn a line under it. Uh, but Italian ninety suddenly got a whole new bunch of people back into football. Oh, football's cool again, you know. So I, I was kind of thinking. I would have thought by the kind of the the, the early nineties, you know, those that were a little bit faint-hearted might have felt more likely to go, but it's not being borne out by what we're seeing. And, and as you said, Tim, it's not just us. I think a lot of clubs was were struggling to get, you know, full full crowds. Well, do you want me to go and get my attendance book with all, every club's attendance for that season? In the break, in the break, in the break. all right? Because there will be a break in about half an hour, all right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but why not? Anyway, getting back to the pot. I, by, by the way, I missed out the Wednesday match. Uh, Sheffield Wednesday at home, one-one. Uh, uh, pretty poor defending for the first. David Lee scores a great equaliser, and Tony Cascarino hits the bar. So there you go. Now the next match uh, is a, a rather portentous date in my calendar. It is Saturday, the eleventh of September, nineteen ninety-three, and I was not at the match. And there's a very good reason for that because at three o'clock that Saturday, I was getting married to lovely, beautiful young lady who has been my wife ever since. Um, so uh, I didn't feel compelled to say, sorry, love, I won't be there because I'm going to the United match. But hey, uh, but you lot probably were, weren't you? And I think if you were, you were very happy because it was one of the best. Uh, there are a few good games this season. This was one of them, I think. I mean, if I was getting married that day and I went to the match instead. Well, there you go. Are you happily married still? <laughs> no, it didn't last. No, funny that. <laughs> uh, uh, yes, I was there. Yeah, I loved it. I loved it. I loved us winning. Oh, well, love us, love us beating, beating United. So, uh, yeah, and a great um, uh, Peacock scored again. It became very apparent to me that Peacock was a really class act and that we'd done really well signing him. But I, I'd seen him score some decent goals for Newcastle, so you knew you were onto something there. But his, um, his ability to volley and, uh, and get into little areas where he headed the ball Either, either on to other players, but uh, but just uh, his accuracy of shot was um, was fantastic. He was a very decent player, was Peacock. It it, but uh, it made the, the problem was looking at the team he was in that early part stage. He was playing either with Cascarino or Shipley, who weren't hitting the net very regularly. So he was under quite a lot of pressure 
to be the main goal scorer until Mark Steen arrived. You can you can certainly see why I hadn't bought Steen. But he, he was a good player, Peacock, and he fitted in quickly as well, didn't he? He wasn't one of yeah, these... Very you're right, you're right, Tim. And I mentioned the three-five-two, and I'm going to go back to it later because I think it's an interesting pattern during the season. But this this part of the season, he's definitely playing three-five-two, and he's playing two up front. And he's and I think he's very enamoured of the big man, little man. So he was playing Cass and, and Gavin Peacock as a two, definitely Mark. I think it's interesting because I think when we first bought Peacock, I think there was speculation that he was a ready-made replacement for Andy Townsend, but he never was. You know, Peacock was a much more forward player. Um, and what was interesting is, and we haven't mentioned, but we mentioned on last week's show, Robert Fleck started the season, but he didn't start the season for long. So I actually think that Peacock was a replacement for Fleck rather than a replacement for Townsend. But this this is an example. Very early doors, he was getting crucial goals. And the, the other significant thing about this game, this was Manchester United's first defeat in six months. This was a really, really big win. And they, and were, they, were, top, they were top of the table at the time. And there's that brilliant footage where Kareem sort of like, you know, nearly makes a severe ricket and like, you know, Cantona hits hits the bar, you know, with a lob virtually from the halfway line. Yeah. Uh, and our goal, I mean, was uh, one of those delightful things to see, which is a Peter Schmeichel fumble from a Steve Clark shot, which allowed uh, Peacock to kind of just nip in and, and dink it in. So really, this, this is all uh, people will have great resonance later on, this Man United victory and Peacock scoring. Uh, right, just to whiz through the next few games, uh, we go to Coventry, we draw 1-1, and uh, Peacock again scores. Another bit of poor defending for their equaliser. Then we have the, the Coca-Cola Cup, uh, or the Football League Cup, if you prefer, uh, against West Bromwich Albion in the yellow kit. Uh, and uh, Neil Shipley gets the equaliser there, Mark. Just a quickie, as well as the debut of the yellow kit, uh, playing for West Brom that night was a gentleman called Kwame Ampadu. Oh, Ethan's father. Yes, indeed. Like that. That's a good... We get, great thing about doing this series is it's great material for future Chelsea fancast pub quizzes. Yes, were we to ever enter any, which is probably doubtful. Hey, you're talking... <laughs> there are two people in this show tonight who are, are uh, holders of the Chelsea supporters quiz trophy. Uh, I had it for two well, years, I Tim. You, I thought you meant specifically you and me, Chich. <laughs> no, I'm, 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 much as I love you, JK, although I think you would actually be better than you think, the reason I always won the Chelsea Supporters Trust quiz trophy, apart from when Tim won it, is because I have Martin <laughs> Wickham on my side. Yeah. <laughs> as I was ready ready to admit every time, I have no shame, as you all know. Uh, right, the next matchup is another huge match uh, against Liverpool, although Liverpool, I'm delighted to tell everybody, are in their downward their downward phase. Okay, Sunas is their manager. They won the FA Cup, but this is the, when they've got they've got players like Julian Dix, Don Hutchinson, Neil Ruddock, uh, you know, Paul Stewart. I mean, if I had been a Liverpool fan of those days, I think I'd have been thinking of jumping, you know, off the Liverbird building, really. But, but no, I think Chid, you're you're viewing them from uh, a later perspective. Neil fucking Ruddock. He was okay. He was a decent they, player. They had Alan Hansen in their he back line. He was a line. decent player. I know, all right, we're looking... He was a he was decent there. player. He was a decent player he, to go out and have 10 pints of lager with on a Friday uh, ultimately, night. Ultimately, yeah, but he, he, he put it about, you know, and also Stewart was a decent player for Spurs. He was good. Sorry, I, I think... Julian Dix? Julian Dix, he was okay. He was all right. You were trying to he make... Was okay, but they won, the, they won the European Cup four times in the previous sort of 15 years, so... You know, they need to be more than okay. They were, they were in decline. 
And yeah, right, they were in decline, but they weren't. They're not as bad as Ch- Chidge is looking at them as they're. No, in, mate. Kind of so JK, Tim's got a really good point there. If this had been Chelsea in the same situation, you'd have been spitting feathers, mate. <laughs> Neil Ruddock. <laughs> Neil Ruddock. <laughs> Mark, you've been very patiently waiting right. for us to rant ourselves out. No, no. I, I was going to say about Neil Ruddock is you talk to Liverpool fans, they don't have fond memories of Neil. <laughs> no shit. And, and whether this is true or not, but there was a rumour around at the time. Um, that Ruddock fleed a pub uh, where, and left his car there and then reported the car stolen. Yeah. yeah. Because he had a significant amount of alcohol in, in, in him at the time when the police turned up. I don't know if that's true or not, but that was the allegation major honour at the time. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, I know, I know that he used to have bacon sandwiches before training every, every day because they, they offered bacon sandwiches. It's unbelievable in the Liverpool training ground and Ruddock used to tuck in. No, you know, it explains a number of things about his fitness and his performances. I suspect I, I, he had a big, he had a big shape, though. He needed to feed that. Yeah. He was big. <laughs> the, the only thing me and Neil Ruddock have in common is our is our shape. I think he's actually a decent bloke. I, I've met him a few times. He, he's he's a lovely bloke. He's amusing, amusing guy. Yeah, actually. he is. He's, yeah, he used to kick people for fun, though. Anyway, Liverpool, uh, we we rode our luck a bit. Really, it has to be said. Um, they had plenty of. Uh, Plenty of goal mouth action, but we won one nil. Um, Neil Shipley scored. Uh, weird goal. It kind of Grobbler kind of saved it and juggled the ball and managed to pull it over the line. Um, but our bacon, no pun intended, was saved by uh, Dimitri Karin, who saved from uh, Robbie God Fowler late on. J.K. Is it too early to say that Karin was uh, an enigma? It's never too early to say that Karin was an enigma, mate. Because yeah, he, he had moments of being absolutely useless and moments where he would suddenly uh, perform, a, absolutely bring off a superb save and you'd go, blimey, that was good. But he uh, he seemed to be very incapable of coming out for the ball on lots of occasions. He would stand riveted, mesmerised on his line. And you could always tell that the players weren't pleased with that because they would then abuse him if he hadn't come out. There'd be lots of rows going on. But um, he, he was sort of... I always felt he, he was like one of those... Those acrobats you saw at the Palladium, you know, he would he'd leap about fantastically, get miles in the air, but in actual fact was quite happy to stand and wait for somebody to prompt him to do it. You know, I didn't. Uh, he never filled me with as um, as much enthusiasm as other Chelsea goalkeepers. And yet, um, Hoddle played him, you know, for most of the games of the season. I don't think it was anybody no, else. He, got, he, he was our top appearance he maker was, with fifty one. Yeah, he was. He was. I indeed. loved him because he had a great song, J.K. Karin, Dimitri Karin, Dimitri Karin, Dimitri Karin. Oi! Oi! Exactly. <laughs> You've so, not been doing the singing lessons then, Chidge. I, I thought you were going to keep those up, no? What, what? What was that? You've not been keeping up the singing lessons No, then, mate, Chidge. no. I gave them up. I didn't, right, I didn't, I didn't I want to show you all him. up. No, can I protect him? Yeah, he wasn't. He was doing his slightly dumbing down bit. <laughs> With okay. emphasis on the I mean, dumb, mate. I missed that nuance. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah you're, you're welcome back anytime, Tim. Um, just to wrap this kind of section up, really, uh, the, the the slow start. We we then, having beaten Liverpool 1-0, right, uh, and by that stage we, we've crept up to 12th at the table, we then uh, go away to West Ham, uh, who are flying high in about, I don't know, 17th or something, uh, and of course, of course, what happens is we lose Trevor Morley, who I always thought was the producer for uh, um, all those kind of electronic bands in the 80s, but clearly he was a footballer no, as no, well. No, it was Paul Morley. Oh, and Paul Trevor Morley. Paul. <laughs> <laughs> I've concertinaed them together, haven't I? 
Horn was the producer, Morley was the publicist. Oh, brilliant. Okay, as, as only I could do. I'd, sometimes I'd love to know how my brain works. It works in a very mysterious way, doesn't it? Anyway, Trevor Morley, the footballer, scores, uh, and, uh, and and we lose 1-0. I mean, largely, I think, because I don't know if, if you were there, Mark or JK, but uh, Dennis Wise, uh, two foots, David Burrows, and funnily enough, got sent off for it. But apologises to him afterwards. and they I, I bet he was tweaking his nipple, really. He probably was at the time, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah it anyway. was a nasty foul. It was nasty. Horrible. I, I, was, I was there. I, used to, I, I, I tend to go to all the Hammers games. I enjoyed being chased after, chased after the game by a group of Hammers fans all the way back to the station. <laughs> That's the, the normality of that. So, yeah, I was there. Um, uh, was the week before, because in the Liverpool game, he gets booked after one minute. You know, so it was almost Vinnie Jones style against Sheffield United. When this like the first tackle of the game, he takes a Liverpool player out. So he, he was prone to putting his foot in Dennis back then. Yeah, yeah, definitely was. Um, we then have the uh, uh, the replay, I presume, of the uh, West Bromwich Albion. Uh, it was, well, it was the second leg, of course, because it was two-legged in those days, wasn't it? Coca-Cola match against West Brom. We, we win 2-1. Wisey scores. Uh, Taylor equalises for them. As Funnily enough, JK, Karin can't hold on to the shot. Uh, and then, yes, and then Eddie Newton sets up Wise brilliantly, who scores right at the death on 90 minutes. So Wise he scores two goals that game. So there you go. I mean, look, if I was to summarise the, the the first part of the season, something which will be, um, you know, redolent of of so many decades of Chelsea, we something we all recognise even even to this day that we were consistently inconsistent. Uh, we were beating the best teams and losing to the poor ones. I mean. You know, nothing ever changes in history, does it, Tim, in this club? No, no, it doesn't. I mean, if we could have ground out results against the rubbish, and some of those teams were pretty poor, that we did against United and Liverpool, we, you know, I think Hoddle obviously took time took time to settle, but it is, it is less so these days, but certainly in those days, we could beat anybody and we could lose anybody. And that isn't just a statement, that's a statement of fact. You know, there was. You can never go to a game and say for certain we're going to win this. Never. Nope. But he was uh, using this period, wasn't he, to work out who he wanted to play? Yeah. That's what I always felt. Wanted to be in the yeah. side. I mean, it's interesting that David Lee hardly played at all in the season, despite scoring in that, in that other game. And he and he brought um, uh, he brought uh, Jonsson back in, who hadn't been who'd been playing off and on under Porterfield. He brought him back in as a centre half with and paired him with Kjellberg. Um, so in in a sense. It's that thing as a fan. If you try and understand what's happening, you you forgive the side's um, inconsistency because you think, well, the manager's trying to find, trying to work out what his best combination of players is. And I think by the end of the season, it was a very different setup to what he had at this stage. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, mate. But uh, you know, and I, and I think Hoddle being Hoddle, I mean, he was cl- he, he had a clear idea of how he wanted them to play, and I and I think given the time. You know, three five two in those days was well. I don't know. To be fair, you know, I don't. I don't think it was as revolutionary as people think. I mean, we were playing that in the nineteen ninety World Cup, weren't we, Tim? Or Robson? We did. Was. Three, but yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, it's probably radical for us, but not not for not for not football. football. No, indeed, indeed. Um, anyway, so we're now on to the next section, which I've titled "Awful Autumn" because I'm such an optimist, uh, and it really, truly was awful. We went, we went on a, a terrible terrible tailspin um, um, which basically meant if you include the West Ham game in October the 2nd we lost uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 7 games on the spin then we had a draw and another 2 losses 
then a draw, and then another loss. That takes you to the end of December, which we're going to go into now. Uh, but we we started off the bad run with a 2-1 uh, defeat against Norwich. Uh, uh, Raoul Fox and uh, and the odious Chris Sutton scored for Norwich. Uh, bright spot being Gavin Peacock scoring his fifth of the season. Uh, Villa away, we lose 1-0. Uh, Daly and Atkinson scores. We then go up to Cite uh, in the Coca-Cola Cup and get knocked out. David White scores 1-0. Um, quick side note here, uh, and I think that would have been around October time. Let me just uh, check my dates. Uh, 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 uh. Yeah, it would have been kind of 20... End of October. Mark Steen's uh, signs for uh, 1.5 million from Stoke. There'll be more of that in a minute. Then uh, we uh, we have Oldham at home. We lose 1-0 to Beckford. Uh, that that was an interesting game, and I think Mark wants to talk about that because it's something that he he, uh, he certainly talked about before. But before... Oh, I, I know what it is, yeah. Before we do that, Beckford scores for them. The, the interesting thing that I, I liked about that game was that Hoddle did an overhead kick that was just wide. Shipley hit the post. And Mark, what's special about the Oldham at home? Well, just there's something special about that. There's just one thing before we, we haven't included, and I think it's quite significant to mention... It took place on the 18th of October after, uh, after the Norwich game and before the, the Villa defeat. It was when a certain Matthew Harding, who at that time was 13th in the annual salary Observer Newspaper Pay League, uh, and he was ahead of the table of, of a certain David Sullivan, who now owns West Ham. Uh, Chelsea announced on the 18th of October that Matthew Harding was making £5 million available to Chelsea, and along with the £2 million they were getting from the Football Trust, uh, Chelsea had the seven million to kickstart the development of the ground, starting with the um, North Stand end. Mm. So Harding, Harding came on board then. Um, he would be going to Chelsea for years, but you know that's when Chelsea made the announcement, and he was immediately made a director of the club as well. Yeah, good knowledge. And uh, and Oldham, Oldham. It was the first and only ever kids' day. Um, the first were, and only. Only ever. Kids were a quid, were a bit of a thing then. Um, lots of clubs, I think West Ham did it, Birmingham did it, were doing kids were a quid. And Chelsea had, held, held their first kids' day and they chose the Oldham game because Tim made that point earlier. Our, our, our attendances did yo yo a bit, you know. Uh, and I think they did, oh, kids were a fiver. And um, at the Chelsea Independent, we actually bought 100 tickets. And I don't know why I even volunteered to do this, but I agreed to get involved, you know. Uh, and we got 100 tickets in the West, ha- West Stand. We gave them out of local schools, you know, local groups, you, you name it. And obviously some of the sort of support workers came down as well. But, you know, sitting surrounded by 100 kids, you know, again, old and old, probably not one of the most memorable things, things, things I, I did at the time, you know. Um, and I, I think, I think, in the independent uh, at the time, we, we did an interview with some of the kids at the game. Uh, and for some bizarre reason on, at Kids Day, they had this inflatable panda, sort of this huge panda they had there. Uh, and some of the kids' memories of, of it, the only thing they remembered after the game was Stanford the Lion and this inflatable bloody panda, you know. And that was it, you know, I suppose because we lost one at home, home to Oldham. But that was interesting. It was the one and only time that Chelsea did a sort of like a Kids Day. Yeah, and t- Chelsea being typical Chelsea, they didn't promote it as well as they should have done. So people found out on the day of the game, you know, so people came down, sort of like dads and, you know, brought their kids down to take advantage because I think an adult and a child was a tenner. And I think the West End was £15 a ticket at that point. And Chelsea being Chelsea wouldn't give them the discounted price because they didn't buy the ticket in advance and they weren't a club member. 
you know so you know you lose out on potential support and revenue just by a stupid rule so it's probably no wonder that there's only fifteen thousand at the game probably a couple of thousand people probably turned up and went away again because they didn't want to sort of pay the full price brilliant brilliant um now the next match uh having lost uh i mean you know i mean i think as memory serves we 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 we, we kind of battered oldham and they kind of got a bit lucky really but nevertheless losing to oldham who were pretty sure far going to get relegated was pretty bad news but it got worse because the next game was a visit to ellen road where we got absolutely humped for win for one by leeds uh, Brian Dean scored. Uh, Danny Wallace after Eddie Newton slipped. Then, uh, then we got caught out on the break uh, by Danny Wallace again. Uh, David Rowcastle, bless his heart, he scored. Uh, the only consolation was a Shipperley goal. Mark, yeah, was was at this one, um, and this is when Hoddle was experimenting with the three at the back and probably realised that whilst he might want to play it, he probably didn't have the personnel to play it. He played David Hopkin as a wing back that day, and Andy Andy Dow as the I think the other other wing backs. And he takes um, Hopkin off after we go three 0 down, and he reverts to a back four. Yeah, so he he tried this the the three at the back and clearly didn't work. But it's interesting because I go to Ellen Road the following season, and we'll talk about next week's show. And Dan Protesco makes his debut there, and Hoddle finally gets his three at the back working really well because he had the right players to do that formation. But we were just awful that day. You know, like Shipley comes on and gets a goal. But, you know, getting spanked, you know, by Leeds was just absolutely awful. You know, being up there, you know, with the father's guns glaring away at beating us. So not 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 a great memory, shall we say. I, I won't ask JK to relive it because I know how painful it is for him to lose to Leeds. Um, it's painful for me to lose to Arsenal, which is exactly what we then went on to do at home. We lost 2-0. Uh, Alan Smith from a set piece. Uh, Seaman makes a good save from Steen. Penalty to Arsenal and right scores. Pretty comprehensive uh, defeat, really, to Arsenal, who, of course, had a pretty decent team in those days. Tim, JK, were you both there? I would have been there. And again, the crowd was only 26,000. I mean, yeah. which is remarkably low, considering I think they won the... Is that the season they won the Cup Winners' Cup? I think they certainly they picked up a European trophy around that. And they had Wright and Alan Smith. They had a decent side, Arsenal. So... You know, they were they were organised. I think George Graham was. Am I right? George Graham would have been manager then, yeah, so they yeah. would have been organised. So um, yeah, we were just we weren't we weren't at the races. It was another one of those games where we deservedly lost. Mm, it was. Pretty... I have no memory of it whatsoever. I would have been there though. Best, best, once... yeah, best. Leave it there. I think J.K. I, I don't want to re- re- reawake trauma or anything. Um, we then uh, we then go up and play City. Uh, we we still have. I mean, by this time we haven't scored. That's uh, one, two. Uh, this is the second game we we don't score. Um, we went close a few times, but but actually the the really interesting thing about that was that the, you know I said a minute ago there was lots of rebuilding going on. Well, um, you know the North Terrace uh, to the you know our, our North End as it were was demolished after that game. So that meant we kind of played with this bizarre wooden. Uh, fascia behind the goal for uh, the rest of the season and as I said lots of clubs were building new stands at the time so they, they, they're getting on with things Mark Yes they, they were and I think that, that game was on Sky TV it was a, mon- a Monday night game but yeah you know, no sooner does Harding make the money available than a month later work has begun you know, yeah. so they've on with it well um, as it's quite timely um, the next game was Sheffield United I was just going to mention about Sheffield United because um, it was you know I went to that game, but I actually went um, at an invitation um, with the exec club away coach. 
But back then, uh, the exec club at Stamford Bridge was in the middle tier of the East Stands. Um, so people paid a substantial amount of money to have the best seats in the house. But one of the perks was they actually had their own away coach that they went on the coach with Ken, Susanna, Colin Hutchinson. And a friend of mine, um, Michael Ashley Rolf, um, uh, he was an exec club member back then. So he invited me along the coach that day. And I had this paranoia that, you know, with the tension with Ken Bates and Chelsea Independent, whether they even allow me on the coach. But Ken was ill that day. So the exec club coach, there were six of us on the coach that day. It was Colin Hutchinson and five Chelsea fans. But they ran that coach to every single away game. You know, so height of luxury, lovely way to go and watch football. You know, this is a real state in the heart of the coach for the 90s. Uh, and then you had to see uh, in the director's box at Sheffield United, which was rather nice as well. You know, but, you know, the, the only time I've actually done that in football. And, uh, and again, we carry on our losing run by losing 1-0. But actually, I met a gentleman there. Uh, and again, some people listen might, might remember him. We, we had a thing back then called Ch uh, Chelsea called the vice presidents. And I don't know JK might have known him. There was a guy called Jim Kane who was actually on the coach that day. And he was a vice president. Uh, and he sadly died sort of like soon after that year. And this guy put a substantial amount of money into the club each year. And I was lucky enough to go to his memorial service. And, you know, give Bates his due. He does this lovely tribute. And he actually said that if Chelsea had like 20 Jim Canes, you know, this club would be in a really good place or sort of like financially sort of going forward. Yeah. In, fact, in fact, yeah. Um... I had ex a very similar experience because um, when I started sitting in the uh, um, in the middle tier of the stand, it was revealed to me that because I'd clearly proved I wasn't a hooligan, that I was eligible to buy trips on the executive coach for £60 to go and sit in the director's box at away games that weren't populated by the vice presidents. And the vice presidents had the and the executive club members had the right to attend all these games. Absolutely right. But what one didn't realise was that all these vice presidents that Ken had appointed um, got access, obviously, to the executive club lounge where all the players went, but contributed large amounts of money to the club. Yep. And it was that what kept the club going. So he was very canny about that. But my experiences we'll get on to later on was, I, you know, I, it was Coventry away was the first one I went on. And it was a League Cup game, and this is a few years, about three years, four years later. And uh, in fact, it uh, might have even been later than that. But anyway, um, I ended up exactly the same as you, except Bates was on it. Bates, Susanna, Colin Hutchinson, and me. And that, and that was it. And that was it. And exactly the same. So I thought, oh, executive club, there'll be all these people on it. No, turn up in the afternoon. I'm in my suit because we're going to be... And, and I end up sitting next to Gary, Gary St uh, Straker, the uh, the uh, uh, sort of he was he ended up being the the um, sort of PR guy. The grass, from what we we understand. Yes, yes, yes grass. But he spoke Italian, supposedly, didn't he? He was like he helped all the players bed down when they came from foreign countries. That was kind of his role. More leaks anyway, than Wales, mate. But yeah, but I yeah sat next to him and uh, and watched the game. I did the same with the Sunderland game as well, and a few others. But it, the idea I was told and be under I know no. Um, pretensions that it was never a given i always had to apply for it because the vice presidents always got the uh, the precedence to actually going to the games because they contributed to the club and all i was doing was paying 60 quid i thought it was rather lovely that it's all it costs to go and sit in the director's box but i was refused entry to any of the areas that um 
that Ken went to. I couldn't go into the the boardrooms of the obviously. I had to go into a little, you know, a little hospitality area. Um, but but as a as a as a as a just an addendum to that, the um, um, I sat next to Susanna. In fact, she came up to me and said, "Who are you?" At my, at my little computer with me, and I said, "I'm this, that, and I do. I'm an actor and do this." And we chatted for a bit. And afterwards, she said, "It's very nice to speak to somebody who's actually not speaking about football all the time." Because I was just asking her about, you know, her holidays and things and whatever, what she was doing, where she likes shopping, wherever things like that. And I said, "Roma." And from then on, bizarrely. I got known because I went on several of these as Susanna's actor friend by, by Ken. <laughs> Ken, who would say when we go in the group, he'd always say if I was missing going to the loo, I'd hear this voice saying, where's Susanna's actor friend? And I'd say, I'm here, Ken. Ah, there you are. Susanna's over there. As if somehow that was my role was to go and speak <laughs> to Susanna. But um, but yeah, they were in a very interesting. So in fact, to, to digress, go back to what I was talking about. The role of the vice president in the club is actually something that I found always a bit mysterious. But in actual fact, I think they kept the club afloat in more ways than uh, than we're aware at the mm. time. I think, and particularly this guy, I've heard of him. I've heard of, of your chap. Um, uh, he, I said he, he, he sadly sort of fell down the stairs and that's what killed him. But yeah, mm. he was a serious investor at Chelsea, like as you yeah. say, like the vice presidents. And Bates said. Yeah, if we had more like him, this club would be in a really solid place. So, yeah, they were the people keeping the club afloat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Good stuff. Um, next up, we've got Rovers away. We lose 2-0. Uh, Graham Lasso scores with a worldie. Who knew? Uh, and Shearer scores a goal. Can I Who say knew? how much that upset me, Chidge? Yeah, I, well... Really, really yeah, upset me. I was me. so pissed off that Lasso oh, went as well. Oh, um, But uh, we we also... Well, I mean, the other thing, that something that's creeping in in this period is... is uh, you know, uh, well, apart from the obvious lack of goals, but some, some, and I think Mark alluded to it a minute ago with the three-five-two not really working because we didn't have the right players. But so a lot of defensive errors are creeping in, silly goals being given away. Um, uh, the uh, evidence by the next match, uh, we draw one-one at home with Ipswich. Great flying header from Peacock, uh, which is our first Chelsea goal for six matches, and then a, an absolute comedy goal for Ipswich from a a poor carrying clearance. Um, you can't really blame the three-five-two for that. That was a, a Dimitri uh, error, I think we can say. Uh, at which point, uh, we're second from bottom. And uh, now, I can't remember this because my, my memory of it is just very scant. But apparently, according to my research, uh, a lot of the uh, press were, were muting the possibility of Chelsea getting relegated, Tim. Um, do, do you remember any of that? Was there kind of a bit of a worry? I mean, we were second from bottom. I think the mood was pretty, pretty pretty bleak. I mean, some of those teams we weren't beating and were losing to weren't great sides. I mean, Sheffield United ended up getting relegated. Ipswich were no no great shakes. So I think, yeah, well, I think we were we were in trouble. And of course, the press would stoke it up. And you can imagine Bates must have been a nightmare around the club. But you know, I guess these days. You know, four months in, the manager would be under pressure. But to be fair, I think Bates sort of rode it out. I don't remember him being, you know, I don't remember sort of huddled sacked question mark headlines or anything like that. I don't remember it being that bad. But it was it was pretty bleak. We were a poor, well, I wouldn't say we're a poor side, but we were getting poor results. If we couldn't score and we were conceiving stupid goals nearly every game, that's a recipe for... Relegation. relegation. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> but there you go. Um that we we then end the year pretty much, uh, you know. What it, I mean, there's another match I think in in December actually, um, but we'll get to that after the break. But the, we're going to finish up on 
the 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 Monday the twenty seventh of December uh, against Southampton down at the Dell, we lose three one. Um, great equaliser from Steen, and this is significant. Uh, it's his first goal for the club. Uh, but uh, Ian, the one, the beautiful Ian Dowie restored the lead, and then uh, Bennett, Frankie Bennett, uh, Saints legend, not uh, gets the third. Um, but Tim, there was something interesting around this as well because I mean, this this was like the low watermark in a sense of the season, and it it does go on to change uh, in the new year. Um, but there was a reason for that, wasn't there? I believe there was a dressing room bust up where Hoddle said his piece and. Wise said his piece and others, and they had to sort of clear the air. And I think maybe the system after that got, got tweaked and the team certainly started playing better. But I think, yeah, I, I, I remember at the time there were stories about Hoddle had had enough and some of the players had had enough of Hoddle. I think Wise and Hoddle probably were slightly different, slightly chalk and cheese in terms of personalities. So I'd imagine, and it probably needed the clearing the air, to be honest. Because the results were so bad, you carried on like that, and we might well have been relegated. So it came at the right time. Mm, mm. Mark, you you look poised. No, it's, it's, it's I, I recall that as well. I think having gone down to the training quite a few times, I think you made reference to it earlier. The best player at the club at training at that time was Glenn Hoddle. You know, just watching watching training in action. You know, and, and I think J.K. made reference to Cascarina saying in his book. You know, he Hoddle would get frustrated down at the training ground because he would do amazing things with the ball and he'd get, get the players to do it and they wouldn't be able to do what he did because they weren't Glenn Hoddle, for example. So I, I suspect there probably was a bit of tension between the players and Hoddles at, at, at that time. It's probably why they had that clear the air thing because, you know, he was, he was the best player on the bark at that time when he did play, but he wasn't playing either at that time because he had an injury himself. So he, he couldn't have his impact on the pitch because he wasn't physically there. So, but it was a turning point because after after Christmas, it clearly gets a whole lot better. Yeah. Cascarino tells that story of him standing in the middle of the of the team, and and they all have to volley the ball to him, and the person in the middle has to try and keep the volley going. And of course, Hoddle is magnificent at it yeah. and does it all the way through. And then Cascarino goes into the middle and just does one, and then comes back out, <laughs> and, then, and then is replaced by by Johnny Spencer, who does two, and then goes back out. And then Hoddle goes back in again, and then just keeps on doing it and doing it, and then walks off. And that's, <laughs> that's, that's in the book. He just says this was the attitude of the man. You know, he's very very arrogant. I mean. Tim alluded to it earlier, but I, I, I remember. I mean, apparently, I, I've heard this from somewhere in the dark, deep recesses of my mind. But uh, when Hoddle was the England manager, he he basically drove Beckham to tears because you know Beckham was a great dead ball, you know, one of the best we've ever had. Yeah, yeah. And Hoddle Hoddle would just do it better than him every time, and then tell him he was useless. Yeah, yeah. unbelievable. Anyway, on that happy note of uh, dear old Glenn's arrogance, uh, we're going to have a, a quick tea break. In Jonathan's case, I'm going to go and find a beer. Uh, But uh, we will be back in a minute uh, to talk about Steen coming to the rescue. Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Up the Chelsea! Football Fancast. Welcome back. This is the Chelsea Fancast. I'm Stamford Chidge, and uh, tonight we're doing another of the 50 years of Chelsea. 
this year is or this season is 1993 to 1994 and as ever i've got the wonderful the lugubrious mr jonathan kidd no i'm not lugubrious no, we've, been, we, we've been down this before the yeah, le- is wrong loquacious yes perfect thank you lugubrious is like that yeah. i'm not I, I, leave me alone it's late and i had a brain fart going know? to lose now that's lugubrious that's some um, clement freud lugubrious okay yeah okay thank you <laughs> Yeah, we'll go with I'll be lugubrious for the rest of the show. No, I'd rather you was loquacious. Anyway, we've got J.K. with us. We've got the absolutely wonderful Mr. Be here with, with, two, with two such great guests as always. Well yeah. done, Tim. One and Mark, fantastic. Yeah, fantastic. We, we've got Mark uh, Meehan on, and we've got the lovely uh, Tim Rolls as well. Now, Tim, did you go and find your uh, away attendant? Yeah, yeah. I, said, I did, and it's an excellent book through the turnstiles by Brian Tadman. Sadly, it only goes up to nineteen ninety two. <laughs> it's not actually any use which i've forgotten but there we are never mind recommended to you by mr, by mr. glanville well, there you go yeah. it's the thought that counts mate anyway Indeed. um we we left we left chelsea hanging uh having been beaten 3-1 at the dale by southampton on 27th of december 1993 3-1 they were um one place above us at the table at the time so in relegation terms that's a six pointer uh, big row, according to uh, Tim, in the dressing room afterwards. Wise and Hoddle feature largely, but it's a bit of a, uh, hopefully, a positive, clear the air type thing. Um, Frank Sinclair was interviewed on the uh, on the season review video, and I thought he said something really interesting around that period, uh, which seems to uh, perhaps give a bit of context un- underneath that that row in the dressing room afterwards. And by by and we were mentioning it earlier about the introduction of the three five two, and it was obviously not working in that period of the season. And Frank says it's we started with a sweeper, and then we changed to a back four with a diamond shape, and we were much more comfortable with that, and it worked well. And at this point in the season, I think that's when they made it, and you can start to see the difference it makes because the first game, uh, the next game, which was actually I believe it or not, I think it was the next day. Such was the lunacy of football in those days. Yeah. Tuesday, 28th of December, the next day, having been away to Southampton on the Monday, we then play Newcastle at home on the Tuesday. Now, as I remember, Newcastle were... uh, Where were they in the table? Fifth. Fifth. There we go. So, yeah, I thought... They finished third in the table, yeah. yeah. I thought they were a decent side in those days. Uh, key, oh yeah, of course. This is all, this is getting towards the. Yeah. I'd love it. I'd love it if we beat them, isn't it? It's not far off those days. Yeah. So there we go. So we play Newcastle at home. So they're a good side, and we're down down near the bottom, uh, and we win one nil. And I think the other significant thing about that is that, well, Mark Steen scores his second goal in two games. It's our first win in twelve games, uh, and uh, uh, the other thing really is that Dimitri Karim was superb that day. Made some great saves, and we climb out of the bottom three. So there we go. Um, confidence comes flooding back in the next match, which is a way to Swindon, where we win 3-1. Uh, Neil Shipley scores. Mark Steen scores his third goal in third games. Wise makes it three. Uh, interestingly, uh, both Swindon and Chelsea have goals ruled out for offside, JK. And I just wanted to say, um, uh, talk about Shipley briefly, mm. who, um, who uh, was impressive at, at, at this stage of his career was really got stuck in and uh, um, uh, and a very decent shot, was very good at finding the goal from good angles. And, of course, Steen himself, the lovely thing about Steen, if you looked at him, you thought, but he's about 
four foot two, for goodness sake. He had an unbelievably hard shot. I mean, a really, it was it was a thunderbolt. And uh, you, as a consequence, the terrible child in me kept thinking, just give him the ball. He'll have a shot from anywhere. He'll score. He'll score. Which, of course, frequently wasn't the case. But nonetheless, you had that power in him. He really could score from really excellent angles. I mean, looking back, it was, you know, you just needed him to get in a position where he'd have, have a dip. And he it was it was likely that he'd hit the target, Was um, which is a great attribute to have in a, in a player. And of course, I think at this stage, did he start playing Spencer more in this situation as well? I can't remember because... No, not yet. Not quite. Yeah, it was a period where he started playing. Not more. quite. We're not, we're not far off. I mean, as it far happens, JK, funnily yeah. enough, in the Swindon game, Johnny Spencer comes on for Neil Shipley, but in the in the eighty ninth minute, of course, in of the eighty ninth minute, so hardly, doing you know, that, hardly yeah. significant. And it's a few games really before Johnny Spencer starts getting a go. He comes on, he comes on in the cup actually. Funnily enough, uh, and that's then, right. He scores his first, doesn't he? In the yeah, cup. Yeah, there you go. But we'll get on to him because there's something yeah. something I want to dig out, which I do remember from those days vividly. But I'm going to plough on with these matches. Next match. Another good result. We beat Everton 4-2. And this is interesting because Craig Burley, talking of uh, great shots, he scores an absolute worldie. Very uh, good player, Jude. Well, Very good player. I mean, actually, just as a bit of a quick overview about Burley and this, he gets a really good, quite a few goes at this stage of the season. And yeah. I forgot, actually, because of all, you know, all the water that's gone under the bridge with Absolutely. his, you know, being arsy about the cup final and slagging us off in the media in the States all the time. I forgot actually what a good player he was for us, particularly at this t- time. He's real talented, some great goals he scores, which we'll get onto in a minute. Uh, so Burley scores a worldie. Steen gets a penalty. That's now four in four for Mark Steen. Cotty gets one back for Everton. Uh, comedy error from Carin. Uh, uh, I think Car- yeah. I like Carin. Carin's on a long line of comedy goalkeepers for Chelsea. Actually, I'm not sure that helps with the the team doing better every season. No, but it helps. It helps with my enjoyment of the game in a sense. Okay. But uh, anyway, uh, your mate Shipley scores again, and then guess what? Steen scores again too. So uh, Steeny's got four goal. Uh, uh, sorry, two goals in this game. He's now he, that's five and four. We go away to Norwich, one all. Uh, Steen gets another goal. It's now six in five. And and Efenakuku, who's often been accused of being a slang term or a, a, a swear word. By the way, Barnet uh, in the cup is in between us, but we're going to do the whole of the cup run at the end to keep in sync with the uh, the season review DVD, if you like. Uh, then we go up to Oldham uh, and uh, we lose. How do we Hello. manage to lose to bloody Oldham again? Villa, Villa. We sorry, got, Villa. I'm sorry. I'm, 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 uh, I'm out of sync. Yes. Well, let's do, let's do Oldham because there's nothing to say really. Uh, Jobson, apart from the fact that the skids uh, front man Richard Jobson scores again. Who knew? <laughs> he was such a talented man. Uh, Johnny Spent, your mate Johnny Spencer scores. J.K. That's uh, his first goal of the season, I think. Right. I uh, he equalizes and then Sharp gets the winner. So a rather miserable, miserable day in one of the most. Oldham- Double over us. They, they ended yeah. up getting better. Well, at that time, they were one place below us, uh, 22, 21, 20, 19. They were 18th, we were 17th. So, yeah, that was poor. Uh, but anyway, let's go back up to Villa, and then the next game is Spurs at home, because um, I, I remember Mark had something to say about the Villa game. Just to let you know, it was one all. Fucking Dean Saunders scores, of course, and then Steno gets uh, his seventh goal in six games. The thing I remember about the Villa game, it was a, a double booing. You know, bad enough like Saunders scores, but he was getting stick for poor old Paul Elliott. But also Andy Townsend's. 
So there was there was two villains on the pitch uh, on the pitch that day. So Chelsea fans' angst could be directed in two different directions. But typical Saunders, he goes and bloody scores uh, again. I gave them both a sound booing. I have to say, uh, Mark, I really wasn't happy with either of those two. Yes, the less said about Dean Saunders, the better. They're on a decent side, that Villa side. Um, I stupidly missed out Everton in my excitement because uh, uh, we go away to Everton. Having beaten them 4-2 uh, a few weeks beforehand, we then go up to Goodison and we lose 4-2 to them. How can this be? Well, I'll tell you. Uh, Ebrell scored for them. Graham Stewart scored for them. Who He got roundly booed uh, by us, apparently. Uh, for his treachery and daring to sign for Everton. Uh, Steen gets uh, his eighth goal in seven games. Now, this is a Premier League record at the time, scoring in seven consecutive matches. So, well done to Mark Steen. And then Paul Rideout, with, uh, he got two goals. One was uh, The second was assisted by Stewart, and then Stewart assisted another another goal. I don't remember, perhaps both of Rideout's goals were Stewart assists. And then uh, we got a penalty, which uh, Steen converts to make it nine goals in... Seven games, which is pretty spectacular. Stewart is a good player, so mm. it makes sense. It was such a shame that he left. It was indeed. Now, uh, so we're we're kind of doing all right. That was a bit of a blip, but uh, we then go uh, well, two blips in a row, really, because we lost to Oldham, as I said a minute ago. But then we've got Spurs at home for what has to be one of the best games of the season and a completely bonkers game. There is no other way to describe this game. By the way, we're all, all, already we've gone through in the FA Cup round 5 by this stage. So we're already sniffing cup well a run at least anyway. Anyway, Tottenham 27th of February uh, 1994 um 4-3 the game ends up, but we were 2-0 down uh in 18 minutes. Steve Sedgley on 17, Jason Dazelle on 18 minutes. Um and then we get back into it. Uh, Mal Donaghy, bloody hell, rare goal for him. Stino scores again, 33 minutes. And then we're 3-2 ahead on 40 minutes when Johnny Spencer scores. Uh, and then Andy Gray in the second half makes it 3-all uh, uh, on 72 minutes. And then uh, Mark Steen uh, gets his second goal of the game. Bloody hell, pops up with a penalty on 90. But there's so much more to it than that, isn't there, Mark? Oh, the, the, I think when we did a sort of like my my sort of top Chelsea games of all time, I think I included you this did. one. As well. I did. thought it was an absolutely cracking game. Surprise, only nineteen thousand attendance, but maybe that's again ground redevelopment, and maybe it was on Sky TV. Or, it, was, on, it was a Sunday afternoon game. Sunday afternoon, yeah. uh, uh, five o'clock kickoff. So um, yeah, five o'clock kickoff. Quite unusual there. Oh, brilliant game. I think the thing that struck me, apart from the up and down game, this was obviously the Glen Hoddle high five uh, when Spenny gets the third goal. But the steam penalty at the end, yeah, in the shed that day, and you could hear that ball hit the back of the net. The sheer velocity in that shot, yeah, such a powerful shot. And I think then he takes the back of the net off. Absolutely brilliant game. And the small amount of Tottenham fans there that day, maybe we gave them a reduced allocation. They were in the East Upper at that point. You know, that was where the away fans were sitting with the ground redevelopment. But, you know, a real... You got a sense things were really beginning to go Chelsea's way, and that game was sort of like you know a continuation of that. And this is when the Steen and Spencer partnership really begins to hit off. It does, and I mean, apart from the other thing, you know, Kareen saves a penalty uh, as well. Uh, although Gray did score another one, it, it just kind of had everything. This game, it was us. I mean, I, I was going to share with you one of my observations at the time, uh, and I, and I kind of I kind of loved it, and and I and I think a lot of people loved this, but. 
as Mark said, this is when, you know, Peacock, Mark Steen, Johnny Spencer all started clicking. And, 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 and this kind of goes on for the next few seasons. And I, I, I like to call Chelsea's uh, front line in those days the Diddy Men and did so at the time because it was just so unusual to see, you know, we're grown up in English football with great big lumbering, you know, six foot centre forwards, you know, getting it in the mixer and, you know, creating merry hell. And Chelsea were playing with these three little guys. And I love watching little guys play. It's like Werner, JK. Love him or hate him. I love watching Werner run because his little short legs go really, really fast. What? He's not a little guy. Werner is. No comparison between these guys. These were really short guys. Yeah, they were really short guys. That's very true. But I said, the, the point remains, little guys, I love the way they run. They look like they're running really, really, really fast. And and they were great. And and they were create. I, I called them the Diddy Men. They were wonderful. All of them had, had the ability to volley the ball brilliantly and get in, get in in front of other players to do, play, to do volleys and do, uh, and also hit. It was this effort of getting in the end of crosses. They seemed to be very good at that and deflecting into the corners. It was just a, a regular occurrence that one of them would score a goal from an angle that you thought, I don't know how he managed to do that. It's because they had very, they're all very good. Eye, their eyes were excellent. They, and they, they were, they, they scuttled into, into places where other players wouldn't get. The lumbering centre forward wouldn't, wouldn't get into that position and flick the ball in. And there was a lot of that went on. So there we go. Now, the next match is a, a very important match in the season. Um, we go up to Old Trafford, United away. Um, United haven't been beaten since we last beat them in September. Um, and they hadn't been beaten before that for six months. So uh, they're really getting into the old Fergie groove. Uh, but we do it again. And we do it again with a lovely, lovely chip. Funny, isn't it? The number of times that Schmeichel has been chipped, actually. I seem to remember that at the time being quite a good joke. Letizia did it, didn't he? And Davos Schuke in the uh, 96 European Championships. But um, Peacock scores uh, again. So he's got two against United, both of them winners. Um, happy, happy days to do the double over them. I mean, again, I would imagine they were still top. Just checking. They were they were still top. So super result. Were any of you lot up there, JK? Mark, Mark was there. Mark. Glorious day. <laughs> Winning, doing the double over them at Old Trafford, a fantastic day. And a very similar goal to Peacock when he got the bridge as well. Uh, and, and completely deserved. I think that was a 34-match unbeaten run that we, we brought to an end. Fergie was spitting feathers afterwards. But it is Old Trafford. Can you, you know, whatever guess how many minutes of Fergie time we played that game? Um, no idea. Seven. Seven minutes. Seven minutes extra. And he, he threw on Dion Dublin and Brian Robson as well. They they threw the kitchen sink at us, you know, and we held on for a you know, really tremendous victory. Yeah, really enjoyable day. Yeah, excellent stuff. Dermot Gallagher was the offending referee there, just for uh, full record. Uh, after that, we, we beat Wimbledon 2-0 at home, own goal by Fashionu, and another great Burley goal, by the way. Another Burley worldie. And he does it again in the next match. We lose 2-1 to Liverpool. Uh, Rush uh, scores, in fact, actually, Burley scores twice. He gets an own goal, yeah. uh, and then he gets an. It was, a, I tell you, it was an absolute world in front of the cop. I mean, he's outside the box, and he just absolutely wallops it into the top corner. Lovely goal. Then we lose another one again uh, away to Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, Williams, Colton, bloody Palmer scores against us. West Ham, uh, yeah. Sorry, West Ham, Colton Palmer. 
No, no, West Ham. Oh, I missed West Ham, didn't I? Thank you. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, and I shouldn't have missed West Ham because Barnard scores, his, uh, scores a goal, and that doesn't happen very often. I don't know why, but I have a feeling that might have been his first goal. I think it was. He, he, scored, on the, he scored one the previous season. Yeah, did he? He's a lot of coachage. He, he scores in the 4-0 game against uh, Middlesbrough. You would have thought I'd remember that. Was... Season of this season, though. Yeah. Doesn't he then play him regularly for the rest of the season, Hoddle, if I remember rightly? Is that right? He's, yeah, well... Yeah, yeah, JK's right. He, he came in at the end of the season, for the, the, the latter part of the season. He played most of the games. He, di- he didn't play in the cup games. He played in the league games. The uh, the um, the really notable thing about this, apart from Spencer hitting the woodwork, um, is that uh, is that Hoddle scores. Yep, good goal. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and he was very happy about it. He kind of dances away in a rather exultant fashion. I re- seem to remember. I used to have, have a, a, be a bit ambivalent about him playing because um, it, it was a he was a bit of a show pony at this stage, and. Uh, you knew you were going to get some great skills from him, but he wasn't as industrious as the rest because I think his legs had gone a bit. So I liked seeing him play because he was so skillful, and I always thought well, that'd be good. But then you thought he's not getting back as much. He's not. What is he actually contributing? Um, and I felt that was a dilemma. I almost felt I was almost wishing that he wouldn't play as much. Actually, I think why why some of this worked better is in the early part of the season. J.K. He was playing in front of the back four, where. When he came back in again, he was almost playing in like a number 10 role, you know, be up behind yeah. the front two. And yeah. I thought that worked better, you know, because he could then create where playing in front of the back four, you know. He didn't have the pace for that, did he, really? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Sorry, where did I leave you? Um, we, we were, we were in chewing the back over Hoddle. Yeah. Right. Okay. I had to shut my window because it's absolutely chucking it down. Um, yeah, so we uh, uh, we lose to Wednesday three one away. Sinclair gives away a penalty, and then Sheridan scores scores it, uh, and then we're home to Saints two 0 The thing I've, I've comp- I mean, you know, in a, in a in a in a talking of the rain, uh, when we started the game against Saints at home, it was an absolute deluge. It was raining so hard it looked like snow on the TV, uh, and then. Uh, Spencer scores a goal again, beats Besant, our old mate Besant, and then Jonsson scores a rare one, and the game finishes in sun. So typical kind of uh, spring weather. Uh, we got a nil-nil against uh, Newcastle away. Great save uh, by Karin from Robert Lee there. QPR away, one all. Ferdinand scores for them, wise for us. One nil away to Arsenal. We lose. Wright scores a header. And then we draw one all with uh, with Leeds um, with the great Gary Speed. He scores a goal and an even better goal by Johnny Spencer and an assist by Robert Fleck. Were you there at that one, J.K.? Yes, I was indeed there, Chidge. But um, uh, intrigued to see that they'd made a decision not to play Fleck very often, and you wondered whether that was because the drugs had been taking their toll allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they weren't uh, performance-enhancing drugs, that's for damn sure. Well, well, let me put it this way. Where I was sitting, um, the guy I sat next to used to point out the drug flex drug dealer to me. Um, he said that, in fact, he's the team's drug dealer. And I said, well, he said particularly Fleck. I went, oh, OK, that makes a lot of sense. But um, it was just interesting, wasn't it, really? You've got somebody who the season before they paid over £2 million for and uh, who doesn't get a look in. And... Um, uh, and he's another little one, isn't he? Really, he could have had it would have been the um, um, Snow White and the Seven in the end, wouldn't it? You're not allowed to say that word anymore. Those of restricted height. But um, can we say uh, short asses? 
Yeah, we can say short asses, Chid. Well said. Very good indeed. Snow White yeah. and the Seven Short Asses. But it is four or five. Um, but yeah, uh, no, I'm intrigued just to see why he gets a game. What's the reasoning behind that? Because he's not he's not played him all season. No. So is that been because he's not been doing it in training, whatever, or he doesn't fit the plan, or he's got Steen, Spencer, Peacock, and he's got Cascarino as well. And I'm I'm Cascarino in his book admits that he never played very well for Chelsea. And like Townsend, he said he always used to turn it on for Ireland. But uh, some of the footage we've got, I really do like his effort. Cascarino does does yeah. get get the ball a lot, doesn't he? And pass. He, the he ball goes on a bit of a run at this time of the season. Actually, he does. He gives yeah. him a go, doesn't he? Yeah. You're getting yeah. little man, big man going on yeah. again. He's got getting a lot of you know classic kind of nod downs for the little guys to go and score. Yeah. Mark, yeah. sorry, mate, you've you've had your hand up for ages. So no, that's okay. There's, there's a couple of things uh, on on the flexing. I think at that time, Steam was out injured. Yeah, yeah. He's out. He actually was out for 14 games. He, he was, wasn't he? Yeah. What was wrong with him? I can't remember what he did to himself. An ankle injury. Right. But if he, you know, I suspect we'd have finished higher up the table if Steen had been playing throughout. And he only yeah. will come to it, but he comes back in right at the end of the season. Yes, of course. And he scored, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, we, we missed Steen at this period. The other thing I was going to say about the QPR game, a low crowd that night, 15,000. But what I remember about that night is... It was the Monday after we had got to the FA Cup final, which I know we're going to talk about later. So if they hated us as they did and they still do, my God, they hated us that night because clearly all Chelsea fans were singing, you know, at you know Loftus Road that night as we were going to Wembley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were, we were hate, unbearably annoying that night. They know? hated us even more because Wisey scored right at the end of the game, didn't he? Yep. I remember, I remember the, the joy that one had with him scoring, actually, the joy he had. As well, putting it up the uh, the Rangers fans yeah. after that. Seventy nine oh. minutes, J.K. I'm surprised yeah. it's not known as the or that game wasn't known as the Blue Peter Garden Derby. Very good. Yes, with both Ferdinand <laughs> and Wise scoring, who allegedly uh, trashed the Blue Peter Garden. So they say, although it was denied. Were they on Blue Peter at the time? What? what? Were they on Blue Peter? At no, the they time? were local youths. <laughs> they oh, grew, they, they yeah. grew up in the bush, mate. I've got a Blue Peter badge, you know. Have you? I don't think uh, they have. Why am I not surprised? Unless they nicked it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back to the foobar. Right. 2-0 uh, win against uh, uh, against Swindon at home. Uh, another wise goal. Penalty this time. And a Gavin Peacock goal. Uh, and then, and then this is a this is a game to talk about in a bit more depth, I think, because I have a feeling that young Mister Meehan has a few stories to tell. But if we go up to City, go up to Main Road, away. Uh, the the nuts and bolts of it are it's it's a two all draw. Flex scores with a tap in. I think his third and last goal for Chelsea. Uh, Cascarino scores the other one for us. Uh, Uwe Rosler and Paul Walsh uh, score for them. But Mark, there's so much more to it than that, isn't there? It's it's like a, a carry on theme we talked about in last week's show. The last away game of the season was always fancy dress day. So um, because we're playing a team in blue, uh, it was Blues Brothers. Um, so I organised the coach up to Main Road, and the condition is to get on the coach, you had to dress up like a Blues brother. Uh, but you know, we helped people out, so we went out and bought the hats and sunglasses. So we had 35 people on the coach at Acton Town on 8.30 of the morning of the game, and all 35 people, yeah, I'm, I'm working on the basis everyone's seen the Blues Brothers film. So it's a black pork pie hat, sunglasses, uh, black jacket, white shirt and black tie, yeah. 
Uh, and obviously, there was only one video you could play on the coach up the way up, up to Main Road, which of course was the Blues Brothers film. And there's just this surreal moment, and I wish I'd sort of yeah, videoed it. You've got 35 people with port by hats on sunglasses singing along and singing like Stand By Your Man, Rawhide, you know, everybody, everybody needs somebody to love. Yeah. Uh, oh, God, what was the other one? The one that uh, Aretha Franklin did? R-E-S-P, R-E-S-P. Yeah. So we get up to Main Road lunchtime. We go to the Ferret and Firkin. Yeah. Yeah. People remember drinking pints of Dog Bolter. In the Ferret and Firkin? In Lots yeah. Road? No, no, up in Manchester. It was a chain of pubs. The well, Firkin. I was a, the Ferret and Firkin in Lots Road was my local pub back in the day. Yeah, and we'd, we'd sort of got in touch with Man City and basically said like we, we were coming up and we were bringing the blue flag with us, and we'll talk about the blue flag in the, in the Wolves game. Uh, but it was the last day of the Kipax, you know. So we sort of brought up a wreath um, for the last day of the Kipax terracing, and Man City said we could come onto the pitch and lay the wreath in front of the Kipax. So, like... Six, this is a real surreal moment. And as, um, I've put the photo up on Twitter before. Photographer takes a picture of us. So we walk onto the pitch dressed as Blue Brothers, laying a wreath in front of the Kipax and huge terracing the Kipax was then. So thousands of Man City fans all cheering us and singing Chelsea, Chelsea win the cup because clearly we were, we were playing um, Man United the next week at Wembley in the cup final. And this really weird moment, because I remember going, and I think Tim probably did as well, I remember going to Main Road on the Friday night and how scary. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> how scary yeah. it was afterwards. And so, yeah, going back to Main Road 10 years later and after the game, you know, taking the blue flag up through the Kipax terraces and having Man City fans like, part like the Red Sea, like Moses, patting you on the back, you know, as you carry this flag through and sort of shaking your hand and saying, Beat those mank bastards next week, won't you, Chelsea? Yeah. And it's just like really surreal moments. Like, you know, normally they'd want to give us a slap, you know, but, you know, maybe because we were playing Man United. It's just like a really amazing moment. But then it didn't stop there because obviously on the way home, as you do, we stopped for a couple of drinks and I got to introduce you to our coach driver. And our coach driver is this old guy called Les. And Les was very forgetful. So I introduced myself on, on the morning and sort of say, like, I've organized the event. You know, and obviously he can't work out why 35 people are dressed as Blues Brothers. <laughs> him, you know, and he, and he goes, what's your name again? I go, Mark. OK, where are we going again? Main Road. And, and what's this? It's Blues Brothers, Les. So that was like for the whole day. And so after the game, obviously, we turn off this country lane um, to go to this pub. And it's probably just outside Coventry. And he went down the only road where you couldn't come directly back off the motorway. So you've got to go up to the next junction. So I'm sort of trying to direct him and he's going, what's your name again? It's Mark Les. Oh, we're, <laughs> uh, we're going to London via Coventry. He goes, don't worry, I know where Coventry is. So he still manages to sort of get us lost. He drives past the sign that says Co Coventry. So I go to him and said, Les, like, yeah, you've missed the sign. And he goes, what's your name again? Goes, it's Mark Les. Goes, don't worry, Marky boy. I know where I'm going. You know, get, get past Coventry, you know, we'll, jo we'll join up the motorway from there. So sort of, you know, I sort of say to him, well, where are we now? You know, and he goes, oh, you know, we're in Coventry. I said, oh, OK, that's OK. So we know where we are now. Um, and then he goes, it's changed a bit since I was last here. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? Uh, he goes, well, there's a motorway going through Coventry now. I'm going, Les, how long were you here last? He goes, and this is straight up, you know, during the war... <laughs> <laughs> no shit. <laughs> I had this Uncle Albert moment of Only Fools and Horses coming on. 
you know, he was he was in his sixties, Les, and he hadn't been back to Coventry, you know, since the end of the Second World War. It's like like you know. Sort of like almost like fifty years later, so he's probably even older than that. Then yeah, he was in his in his seventies because he's an old boy. Yeah, and he said like he, he was there when he was a kid. You know, Mental. we got home eventually, but my god, it took us a long time to get back home. But true oh, story. Unbelievable! That's brilliant, Mark. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, talking. Well, I that completely brilliant. The, the Blues Brothers idea and going to the game and the uh, was like that is. And didn't didn't you say that um, Bates and uh, Harding dressed up as well? Yeah. Oh, no, that's true, yeah. Um, we got Bates um, and Harding to do it as well. For fair play to both of them. But the trouble is, there was a photo of Bates and Harding, and Bates looked more like a godfather than a blues brother. It's <laughs> almost, almost like scary, like like Marlon Brando and godfather. You know, the, it'd probably leave a horse's head under your bed or something. <laughs> Wouldn't be surprised. Right. Uh, talking to Coventry, that was our next game. We played them at home. We lost uh, We lost 2-1, annoyingly. Uh, Peter Unlove and uh, Morgan with a long-range free kick. Cascarino for us. Uh, and then the last game of the season was uh, Sheffield United at home, uh, and we won 3-2. Uh, but this, uh, we talked about this with young Chip Butty song singing man, whose name is for- I've completely forgotten now, but we had him on our preview shows last season, didn't we? Um because, of course, they got relegated uh, last season. And, of course, I think they just had to draw, didn't they, to, to yeah. stay up? Yes, they did. They did. They did. They, it, was, it was quite interesting. Yeah, it turns out a draw would have been enough. And, you know, they went they went 2-1 up. And I, I remember this, and I can't remember who it was. One of their players committed an outrageous foul on one of ours. And our supporters started howling at them. And that got the players going. And, and, and Steen was playing his first game in like two months and he wanted to prove he was fit for the cup final. And obviously the best way to prove he was, which is the following week, the best way to prove you're fit for the cup final is to score two goals. And that's what he did. And I, I, I remember thinking at the time as we left the ground that had they not riled um, the Chelsea support and then the team and it hadn't been Steen's um, first game and he was proving himself. I mean, if it had been the previous week, it would be Cascarino or Shipley or someone, and they would have stayed up. Because there is no, if you see the goals, there is no way that the, the bulkier members of the Chelsea forward squad would have got those goals. Um, so they were they were very unlucky. But it was it was a it was a strange game. And I think because I mean, I'm sure Mark will, Mark will talk, you know, it was the last game of the shed as well, wasn't it? So there was a certain sort of atmosphere as well so it was, a bit, it was quite a strange and people didn't want to leave afterwards and then you had all these literally weeping Sheffield United fans because they were sitting somewhere in the East, in the upper. East yeah East Upper sort of leaving the ground and we didn't want to I mean I don't you're the same I, we didn't want to leave the shed would that be that's fair you're spot on Tim absolutely spot on yeah the, the player who, who caused all the rumpers was Glyn Hodges I'd yes. say the ex-Wimbledon player he got blocked he yeah. scored he scored Sheffield United's goal and then 10 minutes later caused all the ruckus what he got booked for that got the crowd going. Yeah. Yeah. He was a catalyst. And the Sheffield United fans were in fancy dress that day as well in the East Upper. Yeah. Were they, were they Arabs? Arabs? They were Arabs. They were dressed yeah. as Arabs. Yeah. For some bizarre reason. <laughs> I don't know what. You know. Yeah. So, and you're right. They were absolutely devastated because this was the day as well where Everton beat Wimbledon on the last day of the season to yeah. stand up. And Stewart scored for and them. Graham Stewart yeah. got the goal that kept uh, Everton and up. And Seager's had a few problems in goal, I seem to remember. He, 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 let, he let a couple conveniently in, and there were, there were suggestions that something untoward might have taken place. So, you know, if Everton hadn't won, I think Sheffield United might have stood stood 
uh, would have stood up. Would have stayed up. Yeah. The fact yeah. that Stewart scored as well and us scoring was a combination of like a double whammy in a short period of time. But yeah, no one wanted to leave afterwards. It was the last day of the shed. But you're absolutely right. Hodges fouling caused an enormous ruckus. Yeah. And, and we were working out at the time. I remember working out every single time when they were two one up thinking, oh, they're going to survive easily. And, uh, uh, and the fact we then got to um, two two, there was a debate as to whether they would still survive. And then the uh, the whole the process because of the Hodges foul, we were we were absolutely up in arms. And and when when Steen scored in the last minute, it was a feeling of of absolutely deserved almost revenge going on because of this dreadful foul by Hodges. I remember that at the time. So there was no there was no kind of oh poor you poor chaps last minute. It was you know you bloody deserved that mate. But yeah, absolutely right. All these Arabs walking along in tears. I always remember that. That was so awful, but funny at the same time. Just couldn't believe it. Yes. Yeah, it it was. Uh, I mean, as as Mark and Tim and and J.K. were saying, it was the it was the last time the shed end existed because, of course, shortly afterwards, end of the season, it was demolished to make way for the uh, the new shed end. Uh, and temporary seating for for a while, and it's interesting. I, I didn't realise that that you all that you all stayed, uh, Mark. That you all stayed on for as long as you. Well, I mean, how long did you stay in there for? Oh, oh. I'd say probably about a good fifteen minutes, half an hour. Yeah, after. yeah. yeah, yeah. I was, I, yeah. Half an hour. They started moving people out, but people just stayed and sung or stood there, and yeah, uh, probably half an hour. Normally, I was quite a quick getter away in those days, back to the tube. But no, I, I hung around. And it was, it was the end, it was very much the end of an era. Was it emotional? Well, football wasn't as emotional then as it is now. Now they'd be weeping and nailing and wailing. I think it probably was a bit for some people, yeah. 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 I mean, I don't get that emotional about football, but it was, it was definitely the end of an era. We'd stood in the same place for nearly 20 years, and some people have stood in the same place for a lot longer. So it is quite, it's very much, we knew that we were going to be sitting in the old West Stand the following season. So it was very, very much we, the people around us who weren't going to be sitting with us the following season. You knew that's the last time you're going to be with them regularly, for example. Mm. You know. Mm. Yeah, I know lots of people who already merged into the seats, but they all came back and stood on the shed that day. Yeah. Yeah. That's where their Chelsea supporting days begun. Yeah. Yeah. But the seats, there was a lot less people in the seats that day because they, they, the shed was packed. Yeah, yeah I, I left my seat and went and stood in the shed. I remember that at the end of the game. But I wanted to say, who who funded the uh, the shed redevelopment? I can't remember. If, if Matthew Harding had funded um, the, the, the the North Stand end, the, the away end, who was it who'd put the money up for the redevelopment of the uh, um, of the shed end at the time? Was it just Bates who'd paid for that? No, Bates never put any money in, JK. It's, it was this, but Bates had now had grown the beast that became Chelsea Village. Yes. And you had the people that invested. This this is probably one for next week's show. But the the whole labyrinth that was Chelsea Village and all the companies underneath that. So you, you had a number of... We were talking about the vice presidents earlier. A number were, of investors for this as well, I there guess. Was investors for this. Basically, this is where we begin to fall out with Cane Bates at the Chelsea Independent. Because we revealed who these shareholders were and where they were based in Hong Kong and Jersey. Yeah. Yeah, and so he wouldn't, he wouldn't reveal who owned the club. Ultimately, he wouldn't reveal who they were, would he? Absolutely. When, when people were asking him who owned the club, I remember now. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Well, intriguing. We'll we'll no doubt, as Mark said, get onto that uh, much more next week. Now, um, 
that was the end of the season. Uh, we'll talk about it when we sum- summarise uh, you know, the season uh, after something that happened that was very important. And I've labelled this 24 years of hurt because Chelsea embarked on a cup run. We've been mentioning it throughout the show, but obviously we ended up at Wembley playing uh, Man United. But we, we st- Now, this, is, this intrigues me. We, we, we get drawn away to Barnet, right? But it's played at Stamford Bridge. And the other interesting thing about this is that Glenn Hoddle's brother played for Barnet. Mark, what was going on? Yeah, I was really disappointed with this one because I, I played Sunday football uh, at the recreation ground beside Underhill. So I, I always wanted to play Barnet in a you know, competitive game because I, I played football there next door to them for years. So I was really disappointed that Barnet moved the game to Stamford Bridge. I, I understand why they did it. But Barnet were a thousand to one. You know, they, they were the lowest ranked team in the FA Cup that I think that year. They'd only won two games. So to their credit, you know, obviously they did well financially by moving the game, but they actually got a nil-nil draw. You know, and actually they played really well. So their best chance was that one. If the game had been played at Underhill, they played like that. You know, we were in a bit of a rocky period at that time. Who knows, Martin, what have happened? But they got a twenty-three thousand crowd, so they did well financially. But is that we, we why get- they did it? Yeah, they did it for finally. Was it the police? Did the police have anything to do with it? Well, I like the police as well, probably. You might be right there, Tim. Yeah, yeah. Maybe on police. Police advice is always the one smaller clubs use, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, in the replay, funnily enough, at Stamford Bridge again, they got humped. Uh, Burley scores another great goal this season. Every time Burley scores, it's a great goal. Remarkable. Uh, Peacock, Ste- uh, Steen, and Shipley make it four nil, and then we get drawn uh, home to Sheffield Wednesday, who. For avoidance of doubt, we're actually a pretty decent side in those days. Um, and we draw one all. Uh, Peacock scores. And then it was, I think it was Hyde that uh, equalised. Graham, Graham Hyde. Yeah, Hyde. Hyde. Yeah. Um, we, were we quite lucky to get away with a one all draw there? Does anybody remember? No, I was at that one. Yeah, we were lucky. Yeah, Wednesday were a good side. Although we took the lead, you know, I think a draw was probably a fair result. And then... At that point, people are thinking, "Oh God, like we're we're going out of the cup." Yeah, our cup run was, you know, our season was over. Our cup runneth over. Our, cup run, our season was over in January for the second season running or yeah. the third season running. Yeah, indeed. Um, then we get them in the replay, obviously back at uh, back at back at HQ, uh, as we like to say, back at Stamford Bridge, uh, and I I, th- I think this is one of the best uh, performances of the season. Actually, I have to say. Uh, again, they are a decent side, but it was a proper, proper, proper old cup match. Um, not least because it goes to extra time. Uh, but uh, John Spencer scores a great goal uh, on seven minutes uh, to open the scoring from a from an o- a peacock overhead kicked cross. Anybody remember that? Yeah, J.K. Well, I remember it, Chidge, which is uh, which is good. Nothing to add. No, just it was great. I remember it. It's good. It works for me. It works for it me perfectly. I remember it and it was great. Anyway, uh, Johnson then heads against the bar and then uh, Bright, Mark Bright equalises for Wednesday and then goes to extra time uh, and Gavin Peacock scores and then uh, Mark's, as I recall from the, from the review, Mark Steen hits the post and then Craig Burley again. He, uh, he, he puts it, puts in the winner. So we end up winning three, one, um, as a cracky of the, I, I, a lot of guts in that performance is is what I would remember from that. No, that was a massive win, and I think you know fourth round of the cup. You're then in the fifth round draw, and we had Oxford United, 
So again, the level of optimism and enthusiasm goes up a significant notch. That was a big win because then once you're in the fifth round, you start beginning to fancy your chances, especially if it all goes your way. And we did fancy our chances against Oxford. Well, yeah, they were what? Were they uh, Division 2 old money or Division... Division, division 2 back then. Yeah, yeah. so uh, third division, basically. Yeah. yeah, interesting. Yeah, we do. We play Oxford on the Manor ground on the 19th of February and uh, we win 2-1. Um, Mark? fortunate in their penalty hits the bar, aren't we? Yeah. There's, there's, there's a small factor of, like, Chelsea cock up um, because, obviously, we got through. Um, so, back in those days, pre-internet, pre-virtual waiting room, you had to queue up at Stamford Bridge for tickets for away games. So Chelsea had announced um, the tickets were going on sale at 10 o'clock in the morning. So I went down to you know, sort of get in the queue for tickets. Uh, and it was probably one of the coldest days of the year. Imagine going to Burnley and Oldham away combined. You know, it was, it, was, it was that cold. And human nature being as it is, you know, psychology, human behaviour is people get down there early to get in the queue, you know, to get a ticket. So people don't go at 10 o'clock. They're there at six o'clock in the morning. Uh, and... The interesting thing was, obviously, Chelsea advertised the tickets going on sale at 10, but they opened the box office at 10, which in some respects you can actually say well done to them because they've recognised some people have queued for hours and hours. Uh, but what they didn't do was actually count the number of people in the queue. And had they actually done that, because there were thousands of people queuing outside, they could have said very early on, probably about half nine in the morning, sorry, guys, you're not getting a ticket because there's a thousand people ahead of you in the queue. Uh, but no, they didn't. Uh, uh, and I actually was queuing from about eight o'clock uh, till about 11, 11 o'clock. And I get up to the main gate and there's two people ahead of me and they shut the gate. And at that point, they say, we now think we've sold out of tickets. Yeah. So the enormous sort of like, you know, sting that cause, said, well, hang on a minute. You could have told us that like an hour and a half ago if you'd opened it up at eight. So I didn't have actually a ticket for the game, but I still went up there anyway couldn't get a ticket so uh went with two friends of mine uh two brothers danny and eddie ford so we just adjourned to the nearest pub to listen to the game in there and because I, I was getting a lift back i wandered down to the manor ground with about 20 minutes to go and that was almost the beauty about football grounds they always open up before the end of the game to let people out who want to leave early so i actually got in for the last 15 minutes and obviously jk's mentioned the missed penalty so i get into the missed penalty but the significant part about this game and we, we used to sing it in the 70s and 80s because it was a variation of the red flag. It's when the blue flag song from Stanford Bridge to Wembley takes on, you know, a part of sort of Ch Ch Chelsea sing-along. The last 15 minutes of the game, that's all the Chelsea fans sang coming out of the ground, you know, the away end, walking back down into town from Stanford Bridge to Wembley, walking blue flag. And from then on, that became the song all the way through to Wembley and to the cup final. And we still sing it today. It's, it's interesting, isn't it, how some of these songs, once somebody comes up with it, are then for one particular yeah. song, are sung and sung and sung and sung and sung. I yeah. remember, I remember the Tiago song at Crystal Palace. Um, he comes from Portugal. He uh, he hates the Arsenal, which is sort of meaningless. But some bloke read it out, standing on his seat with fifteen minutes to go, and just sang it. And it then was sung all the way. Everybody singing it over and over and over and over and over again. And it's something I actually love about the club, that the fact that somebody comes up with a song and then that's all that happens. You just hear that everywhere, all the way to the to the tube, all the way to the buses, everything. They just absolutely go for that. And it will never happen again. It just then gets sung normally at ground. But, yeah. but it's that one time when a song originates and, and everybody gets on its back and loves it. I love that. 
The um, that Oxford game, my, my friend Hugh, who lived in Oxfordshire, he drove down, didn't have a ticket, couldn't get in. He climbed a tree. Now, he's not the most agile of people. <laughs> he, he literally watched the game up a tree. How he got down from the tree, heaven only knows. But he did actually watch the game. Or, or he couldn't see the whole pitch, but he could see some of the pitch. So if, in his list of Chelsea games he's seen, it includes Oxford away in the cup, brackets, up a tree, close brackets. Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> That's that's brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant. Um, I mean, tell me, boys, was it was it a bit nerve wracking? I mean, they scored on five minutes, which must have been a bit of a turn up. We wouldn't have expected that. Uh, Johnny Spencer scores on twenty two. Craig Burley again, blimey, he's on fire. Scores another goal, so it's two one. And then, as you said, uh, Ford hit the bar on eighty four minutes, didn't he? So, were, was it a bit nervy? Were we hanging on a bit, or was it was it quite safe? I was only in there for the last 15 minutes. Well, tell us about the last 15 minutes yeah, then, Mark. It was basically, you know, just constant singing. You know, the only thing that sort of knocked people off their kilter was was the penalty being given. And obviously, the fact he missed it and hits the bar, you know, goes up a notch even further then. So, no, you know, I think at that point, you know, people really thought we, we're going to Wembley this year. We're going to go, get, you know, you're going to go to the cup final. And as you said, Burley was in such a ra- rich rage, rich, you know, rain of form. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, our confidence was sky high because we then played Tottenham when we won 4-3, which we talked about, and then United away 1-0. So we're on fire. And then we've got Wolves uh, in the first uh, quarterfinal Chelsea have been in since, who knows? 1973 against... No, sorry, 1982 against Tottenham. There you go. And before that, it was 73 against Arsenal. Before that, it was 1970. So it was our third quarterfinal yeah. in 24 years. Yeah. So... The, the the excitement built. I remember this. We we sat. I don't know if it was all ticket. I don't know if you can remember, Mark. We sat in the. We actually got tickets in the um, east lower, and we were in the in the um, the pub down the road, sort of two hours before. And normally you've got a bit of singing, but the whole whole of the Fulham Road was absolutely rocking. We're Fox and Fest, absolutely rocking, and people were so up for it because this was this was you know walls were a decent side, but they, we were favourites for it. And, you know, the chance of us going to the semi-final, it was, I think, of all the games in the early 90s, that's the one I remember for the pre-match sort of excitement, genuinely palpable excitement in the air. You know? Oh, no, definitely. The, the ground was rocking. But, yeah, you're right. It was all ticket because this is the debut of the original blue flag. And and I was on flag duty that day and we had no idea what was going to happen with it. So we, we had to show our tickets to the stewards. So we didn't have to go through a turnstile. They, they let us through the side entrance. So... We could unveil the flag and we unveiled it in the West Stand and you know, had no idea what would happen. And then the, the crowd just took it and that added to the atmosphere as well because it just went back and forth between the shed and the West End pre-match. You know, and that added, added to the atmosphere. No, it was an absolutely brilliant day. And obviously, you know, Peacock again scoring. Uh, and then for me, I was in the West Stand, but we left the flag um, at the front of the benches and a guy called Steve Boucher and his brother they were on flag guard duty and I'm sort of in the West. And obviously when we win, everyone invades the pitch and, you know, people knew the flag was there. And like, you could just see 40 or 50 Chelsea fans just kidnap the blue flag and they literally unfurl it and sort of carry it across the pitch. And I'm in the West End trying to get down the stairs, <laughs> jump into the benches going, what the is going on here? Jump onto the pitch. And I said, what happened? He goes, they just kidnapped it. So it's just, took a life on its own and everyone got underneath the flag and there's some brilliant photos of, of the flag there on the pitch 
I think you can see it in the background of the BBC coverage behind Des Lynham. Um, but, you know, credit's got to go. That's the first ever flag Chelsea had. And the guy that did it, he's dead now. His name's like Mark Pulver. And they copied Chelsea. Uh, we copied Newcastle's flag at the time, but it had to be bigger. That's why the blue flag originally was like 100, 100 foot long. And sort of thanks to, I think, Matthew Harding, Graham Bell, uh, Joe Hermani from West Coast, and Ashley Rolfe, I mentioned earlier. I think they were the ones that contributed towards the flag getting made. And it's, it was a huge operation. So I know DJ does this every home game pre-lockdown. It is a massive operation do, doing that flag. But then the best bit was to come is I got a phone call on the Monday morning. And where I worked then, we were called assessment and advice. You know. So I answered the phone in the morning. Good morning, you know, assessment advice. Mark Meehan speaking here. And this voice comes down the phone to me and goes, assessment and fucking advice? Are you some kind of fucking social worker? Me and my office Saturday. Be there. Morning, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> we got called in the Bates' office the following Saturday. Uh, or no, was it Saturday? I can't remember. Wherever the next home game was. Yeah, I think it might be the Wimbledon game. And had the riot act read to us because Bates had got a bollocking from the FA about the pitch invasion. And he suggested that the flag had been the catalyst for oh, the pitch invasion. And I said, no, it was the 1-0 victory that was the catalyst for the pitch invasion. But to his credit, you know, having, you know, sort of like given us the sort of right at red, he did actually acknowledge it looked bloody brilliant. Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. Can I ask, Mark, can I just ask what was, I can't remember what was on the flag. Uh, it's, uh, Pride of London, isn't it? Pride of London. <laughs> oh, right, of course it was. Of course it was. I've got an old pic of it somewhere. Yeah, I'll show you. I'll, I'll ping it to you later, Jake. I've got a great pic of it somewhere. Yeah, I'd love um, it. Yeah. So great atmosphere, you know, at the end of the pitch invasion, boys. But well, I mean, Tim, I, I you, you seem to recall it was amongst the best atmospheres before, during, and after you'd seen for many yeah. a year. Yes, I think it, I think it was. You know, the, there weren't that many games that exciting in the early part of the of the nineties or the or the late eighties. I think it just caught the moment. It was the FA Cup, which still mattered. We, we'd not been there for, for years. Um, the ground, the, it was only 30,000 in, which is, again, I think that may possibly be an under, underestimate. Who knows? Um, we didn't, but we, wasn't the only part of the ground open, though, at the time? Yeah, but other crowds that season were up to 37,000. So it, it doesn't quite stack up. So I just remember it being very, very busy. That would yeah. be my, my memory of it. But it was, and everyone, everyone was up for it. People were in the pubs early. They were singing in the Fulham Road before. They were singing in the. They were singing, queuing up for the tube. We didn't have that many games where people were singing up, queuing for the tube after the match. It's absolutely euphoria because we we reached the semi final. Mm. And uh, we did indeed, and we reached uh, the semi final against Luton Town at Wembley because they'd started playing. When did they start playing semis at Wembley, Mark? About ninety one. Yeah, it's currently, but the, the other reason, Tim's bang on, the other reason the euphoria, at that point, we were playing West Ham or Luton. Yes. And everybody thought we were going to play West Ham yeah. in the same yeah. and then Luton Giant killed them. They did, yeah. didn't they? Because they, right. they had a great... Yeah. Sorry, Tim, go on. I was going to say, that would have been a lively semi-final. Wouldn't it? Believe, Wouldn't <laughs> it? Wouldn't it just? Um, yeah, we end up playing Luton Town, who had a great cup run, second division side at the time, or division one, as we should call it. Uh, now the championship um, uh, and of course uh, one of our greatest ever players was playing for them uh, Kerry Dixon his hometown club uh, more of that in a minute um, 
But it was a great day, a great day for anybody who was lucky enough to be there. I wasn't. Um, but Peacock scored after 13 minutes from a Cascarino nod down. So as we were saying earlier on, Cass is back in the fold. And then Gavin Peacock scores again in the second half. I mean, that that's my memory of it, watching it, you know, uh, recently, but also at the time, was that uh, Cass was winning everything in the air that day. He had a great game, actually. Um but what was your what was uh, I mean Tim again I I, you, I remember in the email you you you, you enjoyed did you over enjoy the day somewhat? Well, it, the the day took on a life of its own for a lot of Chelsea supporters. I think the fact we're at Wembley, people were in the pubs early. There was certainly an astonishing amount of drunkenness. Our mutual friend Jonathan spent the second half fast asleep. I won't mention his name on air. <laughs> you know you know to whom I am referring. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and he, he probably wasn't alone in that. And because most people who wanted tickets could get them, because it was only, what was the, what was the crowd? It was um, 6,000 or something. Yes. So I think we had 40,000 fans or something, didn't we? Something of that magnitude. But yeah, 60,000 fans. So I think most people who wanted a ticket got one. And we hadn't been to Wembley since, well, apart from the um, four members, members Cup, yeah. since 72 League Cup final. So I think people made genuinely made a day of it. It's not like semi-finals now where you might just pitch up. People were in the pubs. Oh, I'm sure I wasn't in Baker Street. We were we were holed up in Hammersmith. But um, I think Baker Street that would have been just full of Chelsea. And it was it was a it was great. And you know, we won and the celebrations afterwards. I, I stayed around a friend's house and woke up with my face in a pizza, which gives some idea of <laughs> the sort of evening we had. And I probably wasn't alone in that either. No, it was it was it was just a great day. And it was perfect because Luton, no disrespect, weren't a very good side. Dixon got the send-off you'd have hoped and expected that he got. And I think it just set everyone up for, for the FA Cup final. Well, I mean, I think that's what, what... I mean, ironically, most people remember it as much for us winning and Gavin Peacock getting both goals. But for, for the ovation... Um, rather than, I mean, obviously we were celebrating wildly the fact that we got into the semi-final for the first time in 24 years, but we very quickly started singing one Kerry Dix and there's only one Kerry Dix and gave him a massive ovation. Um, what, what do you remember of that, Jonathan? That very thing. He was given a great deal of love. Um, he didn't play very well. Um, they didn't play very well. We were much better than them. Uh, Peacock was uh, incisive, um, but it was... Uh, it was just like a, a, a knees up I felt for our crowd who would just love the whole event of being at Wembley. Um, and the fact that they didn't offer much opposition just meant it was even more of a, more of a party. Mark, what do you, what do you uh, remember of the Kerry Dixon send off? Oh, no, I, I remember it like, yeah, him getting an ovation as he's walking uh, around the pitch afterwards. It has sort of shades of last night uh, with the England game, you know, whether the rights or wrongs of sort of people jibbing in last night, but clearly, you see lots of evidence today of aisles being blocked um, and a bit of drunken behaviour. It was a bit like that for the Luton game. It's like, you know, there was a lot of people there for, for like a 60,000 crowd. And where, where yeah. were all the aisles were blocked. You know, you know, they just see whether people weren't sitting in their right seat or whatever, you know, li literally just trying to get in and out at half time. Everywhere was just completely congested. So whether people just swapped around, but, you know, there seemed a lot more than sixty thousand there, but clearly there weren't. You know more than that because obviously it was it was an all ticket game. You know, but memorable day. I think we started at the Railway Hotel in Wheelstone, which you, if you know your Who history, yeah, where, yeah, the Who had a residency there. So we started at the railway, and we ended up in Rainers Lane after the game. But Tim's right; it was a bit of a 
bit of a drunken day. Excellent stuff. Well, uh, Kerry, uh, you know, remembers that day very, very fondly. And I, when I interviewed him a while back, he, he spoke very eloquently and emotionally about it. And uh, here he is speaking about it. It was the most emotional day of my footballing life. In terms of emotion, in terms of endearment, in terms of, I still remember it now, and it still makes you know the hair stand up yeah. on the back of my neck. Chelsea fans singing your name. That's it. I yeah, couldn't believe it. Time. I couldn't believe it. And the noise, and you know, why is he come across? You know, he's my room partner, Dennis. So yeah. My last three years at Chelsea, Dennis was my room partner. Yeah. He says, "Can you hear that?" He said, that's unbelievable. And I said, I can hear it. It's embarrassing. It's, it's absolutely fantastic. A, a player, a losing player on a semi-final could yeah. get that. It, yeah. it, it was, that just shows you what the Chelsea fans thought. It was so. incredible. And I'll, I'll never forget it. And uh, it, as I say, it made it the most emotional day. Yeah. I, the club I love against the club I supported, the hometown club yeah. at Wembley. And the fans doing that. And we'd lost the game. And, you know, and, that, but, and the Chelsea fans in the moment of winning, really. And instead we of were, celebrating we, with their exactly. own players, they were singing my we name. Singing it was, it was, it was incredible. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, I was there, yeah. It, yeah. And it was emotional. And I, I just said to Dennis, oh, I've got to go off. I, I, just, I, I, don't, I don't cry too much. Yeah, I feel like crying. <laughs> I, I might well up a little bit, but I don't cry. I'm not, one, I'm not one of these who kiss the badge. He's old school, man. Kiss Come the badge, cry in every club and all that stuff. Love every wing. No, the the things that make you, that, that you do love, you love. You know, I'm the, I see it today. Oh, it's embarrassing. If you don't cry on a football field when you lose a semi-final, if you don't, if you don't play well, you don't win. You don't yeah, cry exactly. about it, and fall down, and try and make out a load of emotion that is yeah. not really there. Because yeah, yeah, half of them are not there. They cry every game. Yeah. Pick a game of season, you get different players crying on it. Yeah. Get on with it, you know. But did you get a bit emotional? Yeah, a little bit. Well? I did. Yeah. 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 Who wouldn't, man? Yeah, I bet Crikey. you would, dude. Yeah. Because right, it is. Right it's, un, it's unparalleled, Mark. I've never heard of it. I, I, before or since, mate. Honestly, never. I, I can't think of another example uh, of that. I, I've been going to Chelsea since you know yeah. 17 years after yeah. you know football. I retired from football and uh, in the hospitality side of things. And uh, apart from a few, about a year off. Um, but other than that, you know, I've, I've not heard nothing like it. Not because it's me, but, you know, lots of people get good welcomes and people say to me, certain players go and come back and what sort of welcome will they get, what they won't. And, you know, the chance to say goodbye, Frank, and you think, you know, JT's coming back, you know, things like that. Mm. You know, I, I don't know, but I'm happy with my lot and I'll never forget it. So now we are in the final for the first time in 24 years, 24 years of hurt and we have an FA Cup final song, of course, called No One Can Stop Us Now. A bit like Football's Coming Home, but a 1994 version, Jonathan. Yes, I have no memory of it whatsoever. I have no, no. memory of it either, actually. Does Not anybody really. remember it? No. <laughs> yeah. They, they, I can imagine what it sounds like. No one can stop us now. I think that's probably it. Really. That sounds like Queen. <laughs> Oh, yeah, probably was too queenie, wasn't it? No yeah, one so. can stop us now. You're right, you're right, it yeah. did. No one can stop us now. I think it was more like that, yeah. Was it? It was more like a charm, yeah. It, it, it didn't trouble the chart compilers, I suspect. No. Yeah. no. I think the writing was clearly on the wall, uh, considering our, our success with cup final songs, although, of course, that was the yeah. League Cup, wasn't it? But anyway, um, we were clearly underdogs. United were going for the double. Which I think would have been the first double since Arsenal had done it, wouldn't it? Or Liverpool, I presume. Liverpool would have done it, wouldn't they, before that? Yeah, they did. The thing to remember is that the day after we beat Luton, United played Oldham in the other semi-final mm. and 
goal behind as it went into injury time and Mark Hughes scored a amazing volley spectacular volley to, to take it to a replay which, which United won so we were very very close to playing Oldham which would have enhanced our ticket allocation considerably but it would also enhance our chance of winning the cup that, that I forgot... go on Tim go on yeah I was going to say I'd, I'd forgotten that but that was definitely I remember that the following day sitting at home with a massive hangover watching the other game and, you know frustrated <laughs> indeed Mark yeah, the, the other thing, Tim's team, made a good point there. Cup allocations then were dictated by how big you were as a club. So we only got 18,000 for the FA Cup final and Man United got 26,000. So they got, yeah, because they had bigger attendances than we had, where now each club both gets an equal allocation. So that that's how... The, the other thing just about uh, about the FA Cup final is uh, we, we organised the, the Chelsea Independent 18,000 cards to go on people's seats that people held up in the Chelsea section. And there are photos, you can find them. And they, it was like a, a card montage for the whole of in, in blue and white, you know. And you know, we spoke to Des Lyon before the game. The BBC were well up for it. And we spoke to Alan Hansen after the game. And apparently they were shouting at their crew to turn the cameras onto the Chelsea section. Because, you know, fan displays are sort of commonplace now, but it was it was unheard of in English football then. So I think we were the first club to do a proper card display. You were the first yeah. Tifosi, Mark. That's it. That's the word I couldn't think of. Yeah, we, we did a Tifosi. Yeah. Um, and I had to be at Wembley and there were 25 volunteers at 8.45 in the morning before we went to the pub in, Rain, uh, in Railway Hotel. And everybody had to hand in their ticket at Wembley Stadium before we could put the cards on the seat. And the challenge that was to persuade people to give up their FA Cup final ticket to a steward who was going to look after them while we were putting cards on the seat. It took a lot of persuading. People would not. The psychology, people would, did not want to let their FA Cup ticket no. outside. Fair yeah. enough. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, that was the condition that Wembley allowed us in to put the cards on the seats is, you know, we had to be proved that we had tickets for the game. So someone had to hold them, that we didn't go round like last night and open a side door and let all our mates on <laughs> the Mark, what was it? What was it? Were the cards just uh, a blue colour, if I remember rightly? They were, they were blue and white. They were blue and white. So yeah, when, yeah. when they were still, laid out, that's what. Yeah. The, yeah, I've still, I've still got mine. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant, J.K. You still got it. You're such a hoarder. Yeah. I love it. I love no, it. I'm appalling. It's in a crate. That's I know. Brilliant. It's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so clearly, Mark, they made you put your cards on the table. Indeed, they did. But yeah, yeah, tush. Ticket on the table for the cards. Yeah. Well, talking of tickets, Tim, you had a bit of a, a, a saga getting your ticket. Well, I think they, they sold the tickets overnight. I'm not quite, I can't remember the process. All I know is I never drive anywhere. And I had to drive and park in the Fulham Road at three o'clock in the morning to go and get our tickets. I can't remember why, but I'm pretty sure it was that game. And yeah, I mean, they also did a thing where if you bought a CPO share, yep. am I right, Mark? You, you are you, indeed. Yep, you've, got got a, a, you've got a ticket. So that sort of boosted things a bit we weren't season ticket holders so i'm not sure why we were entitled to one because they weren't because it was the last season of the shed so we didn't have season tickets but there must have been something oh no we were we were already cpo shareholders i'm not quite sure how they allocated the rest outside season ticket holders we didn't have a season ticket culture in the, in those days so no. back then chelsea only had about three to four thousand season tickets yeah. so if you were a club member back then I think you were nailed on to get a ticket. If you were a yeah. shareholder, you got a ticket. You know, 
Uh, and then they had tickets left over. So that was like a ruse by Ken that if you bought a hundred pound CPO share, you got a, you got a ticket for the game as well. So, yeah. you know, but bear in mind, you know, the cheaper thing would have been done to buy a club membership. You know, it would have been cheaper than a CPO <laughs> share. But he closed down. There was a window of opportunity. Yes, he, that's right. He did. And after that, you had to had to buy a CPO. But I think what, what was, I think they went on sale about eight o'clock in the morning, but you people started queuing overnight. Yeah, because, I can't remember the exact details. All I know is I was yeah. there in the middle of the night yeah yeah and the guys who got my ticket is and actually chelsea got they learned from the oxford game you know because it was a cold night as well so what they did is as people queued up they moved them into the east stand in the seats and so if you were first in the queue how they lined it up you know uh, and the trouble was just before the box office opened like my mates were there one of my friends had gone there in the early hours and he, he was third in the queue and the stewards changed over so the stewards comes on and then they sort of like release people to go down and the box office is open and he let the wrong people go first. So my mate said there was like clamoring down the stairs at Chelsea to sort of say, hang on a minute, we were first in the bloody queue. And then the interesting thing was, you know, you would think if you were third in the queue, you would get the best available seats, you know, as near to the Royal Box as possible. And surprise, surprise, they never went on sale to Chelsea fans. But yeah, on the day, they clearly were people sitting in them. Yes, we, we were there. I mean, I was there early and we ended up about third row from the front behind the goal. Terrible view in the old Wembley. So, yeah, it certainly wasn't done on any sort of first come best seats. Right. And it still isn't to this day. Indeed. Um, yeah, I mean, so let's I mean, let's talk about the game. I mean, most people will remember it for the absolute talking. To, I mean, I, we've had a deluge here a minute ago, which is very similar to the one on Wembley that day. But there was there was such a, a I mean, it's it's really interesting, isn't it? Watching it, talking about this game, you know, with like nearly thirty years hindsight, having been to so many cup finals and and being quite, di- I mean, like the Leicester final this year, you know, even though there were it's a reduced capacity, just how pumped Leicester fans were. And let's be really honest here, they made more noise than us, I think, on the day. Tim might disagree because he was there, but no, I think they. No, did. I would agree. It meant more. We walked down from the tube station um, and they were singing, you know, they were in Wembley way completely up for it. Whereas it was much more us, you know, because we'd been there and it it was the same United in 94. It wasn't a a right, but it was, it was less of a big thing for United. Whereas for us just to be walking down Wembley way was, was an astonishing, you know, given where we'd been a few years before, it, it just, it just meant so much. Of course, the fact we were walking back back two hours later in the pouring rain, having lost four 0 was unfortunate. But yeah. uh, no, it was it was it was more of it was it was an occasion. Again, there was all the usual drunkenness and what have you. But it wasn't, you know, it, it was the the anticipation, the excitement of being there at an FA Cup final was was tangible. I think. Yeah, and we made a lot of noise in the stadium. We did a decibel, yeah, yeah. We did a decibel count of both sets of fans. And Chelsea were absolutely off the scale, whereas the United fans who were so used to being there were much more muted mm. in their approach to the game. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, it's Clayton, I remember, tells a great story about walking out afterwards, um, which I'm not going to repeat, Pete, because I can't remember it entirely, but I, I remember it was brilliant. We'll, we'll hear it on the 24th, no doubt. We'll ask him then. But... Uh, yeah, so we made a lot of noise, and actually, I think that in terms of the game, I mean, we were right, right at them early doors. Uh, we, we, you know, 
We were playing really, really, really well. I mean, we were definitely, I think, the, the better team in the first half. Gavin Peacock, of course, famously hits the bar with an absolute belter of a shot. Um, so we had the better of the first half, and then it all goes ca- catastrophically wrong in the in the second half. Uh, Eddie Newton brings down Conchelsis. I think that was a clear pen to this day. Uh, Cantona scores it, 1-0 up, absolutely against the run of play. And then dear old Frank Sinclair. Um, I mean, I remember JK. We, we had him on... Uh, the Love Sports Show, talking to him about it, and he still says, no, never a penalty, never a penalty. It was outside the box, but it was a, it was inside. But inside. I'm not so sure it was a penalty, mate. I'll be honest with you. It looked like a penalty to me. You're, you're a hard man. You're a yeah. hard but man. It was inside the box, yeah. I didn't, I'd, I'd forgotten that was the dispute. But it was, I, I mean, you could argue whether it should have been a penalty or not. But, but uh, Ellery was too far away. There was always that aspect. Of it because they were both too quick. The ball had gone down the pit. He was about 40 yards away. So I don't yeah. relied on his linesman. He didn't appear to me to be that kind of referee. No. I, I still think it's harsh to this day and I'm still very bitter about it. But anyway, that makes it 2 0. Uh, and then just to add insult to injury, Mark Hughes capitalises on an error between Johnson and Sinclair. 3 uh, 0. Uh, and then, you know. Gavin Peacock, Dennis Wise go fairly close. And then just uh, to uh, complete the humiliation, Brian McClare makes it 4-0 right at the end of the game on 90 minutes. And uh, Tim, you were right at the front getting very, very wet, weren't you? Very, very wet indeed. It was my friend Hugh, his young children had not very high quality face paints done. Of course, there's loads of kids had face painting done and it all just ran. It was absolutely, you couldn't have got wetter. It really was. It was absolutely torrential, and it was just, and it went on for hours. The pitch, considering the pitch held up quite well, if it had been the pitch in 1970 after they had the Horse of the Year show there, the game would have had to have been abandoned. It'd be like the Somme, mate, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know this is a really daft question. Uh, I mean, I was really, really upset, and I wasn't there. I was watching it on TV, but. If you were there, I, 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 it must have been worse. Mark, I mean, how gutted were you? It was awful. And again, I, I've never watched the game. Really? Yeah, I, 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 no, normally. Yeah. I, 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 let me think. I was about six hours coverage on the BBC that day, back in those days. I had two three-hour tapes. Uh, I got the whole thing taped. Never watched it. I think I chucked the tapes out in the end. So Because I, I, I thought we'd win. You know, I really thought we'd win. Well, we'd beat you know. them twice that season. The only we'd done the double, and nobody else had beaten them like that. Really confident. Yeah, you know, people around me were upset. People were crying. Like yeah. grown men were crying because you know it was. It wasn't the fact that we got beaten by United. I think it was just the man of it. It just seemed so cruel and unfair. Yeah. Yeah, you know, because we were the far better side in the first half. And if that peacock shot had gone in, you know, I think we could have gone on and won it. And again, I'm with you. First, first one was a penalty. I don't think the second one was a penalty by Frank Sinclair, so I'm with Frank on that one. Uh, and that was the game changer. I think you can come back from 1-0, you know, 2-0. It just gets harder and harder to come back from. So it was just a really, really awful day, cruel day. And then you come out, and I, I think someone said at the time, you know, you know, like God's crying with you when you're coming out of the ground. It was, it was literally, you know, the rain was coming down. It was just a really, you know, real miserable day. You know, instantly forget what I said, ne- never watched it since. The only sort of saving grace was, and I, I take my hat off to each and everybody, Chelsea had an open-top bus the next day. And there's more that turned out in 94 for that open-top bu- bus reception than in later years when we actually won things. 
there was thousands of people outside that day. Remarkable. Each and every one of them shows what brilliant support we have. There's pictures online of the bus. and We've got beat 4-0 by Man United. And you cannot move outside Fulham Broadway Station. You can see people eight or nine, ten deep in the pictures there. People, the Stamford Bridge Calf, they're standing on the roof of the Stamford Bridge Calf to get a decent view. Sort of shades of sort of 71 Cup Winners Cup. You know, police on both sides to sort of keep the crowd apart. We lost 4-0. Yeah. And people still came out. Remarkable support. Yeah, that's very interesting, isn't it? I mean, JK, did did you think at the time it was like the last chance of winning an FA Cup for a long time? Or were you quite optimistic that we would be able to build from it? No, I was very optimistic. Um, just because I thought that things would seem to be going in the right direction. Um, uh, and we were in Europe the following year. So uh, that was going to be really entertaining. And you thought that if they're in Europe, he might bolster the side if possible I, I, I i'm not convinced he did if i remember it was the following season he bolstered we bought we bought paul furlong didn't we for next we season did. But, we um, paul furlong. yeah so that was a good purchase but um <laughs> scored one of the, the most stupid goals i've ever seen the ball hit him on the back and went into the goal from a, from the goalkeeper's uh, um uh, attempted kick out um uh, but um uh no i was i was optimistic i was optimistic i i like some of the players immensely and I thought we'd been dealt a, um, uh, a rubbish hand in the final by uh, uh, a variety of, of, of decisions or even players' mistakes um, that I didn't think we'd duplicate. So once again, I was uh, optimistic. So no, I didn't think it was going to be something that we would. It would be the um, it would be the first time for ages. I thought we would uh, we'd go on to better things, and I was proven right. Mm. Mark. I think Europe was a massive cushion to fall back on. So we, we already knew that we were in Europe, yeah, even though we lost. So I think very late on, on that Saturday night, having got beaten you know, by Man United 4-0, I think that drunken reassurance that people were so looking forward, and we'll talk about it on next week's show, you know, this is the first time Chelsea had been in Europe other than that La Havre game we talked about last week's show. <laughs> but I think that helped enormously. People were so looking forward to seeing Chelsea play in Europe. Especially people had been following them like we all had since the early days of the 1970s. And we, you know, we were too young for Athens. You know. So, yeah, that helped enormously. No, we'll be playing in Europe. You know. So there was something really to look forward to. And the other thing to look forward to next season as well, as well as buying Paul Furlong, we actually finally bought Scott Minto. We yeah. got the correct start and left back this time. JK, you got your hand up? No, I'm just kicking my hand. All in. right, fair enough. Appreciation, right. Mark. Just to summarise and, and wrap this up, I mean, it was a... I mean, I think it's a bizarre season in a way. You know, all that excitement at the beginning of it with Hoddle uh, appearing as a manager and all the change that was in the air, the shed end being demolished at the end of it, the, the North Stand or North Terrace going as well. Um, but the reality is is, is that we, we finished 14th, which was worse than the season before. And, and some might say a pretty miserable, you know, season in a sense because of that. That awful, awful period uh, in late, excuse me, late autumn, uh, uh, early winter where we couldn't score a goal. We were letting goals in and we, I think we we lost something like uh, t- 10 games in eight or something like that. Uh, that's not good. And yes, we got to the FA Cup final, which was amazing. I mean, it was. I remember. I can. I mean, you know. I, I, even though I was distant from it, the excitement was palpable about getting there, and I think you reflected that brilliantly. 
Uh, and then we get humped by United 4-0. And nobody likes United. And there's nobody on that. Well, unless you're a United fan, and I'm afraid there are quite a lot of them, but everybody hates United other than United fans. So, you know, it was awful losing to them. So it was a, kind of a really weird feeling in that season. But um, getting down to brass tacks, I mean, I, th- I, I get the feeling that, you know, as as you said earlier on, I think, JK, I mean, Hoddle, Hoddle was trying to work this out. He clearly hadn't got the right players yet. We were there for a club in transition, and it was very much trying to build found, foundations, interestingly, hand-in-hand hand with the ground development as well. And I wonder if that's perhaps why Bates was very patient. But also, he, he, he ends up with a very different side. He plays, Hopkin plays a lot towards the end of the season. Um uh, some players who we thought would be shoo-ins are, are, are no longer there, involved. And the, then next season, he still evolves it. I think Spackman plays a bit more next season. Spackman hardly played at all. It did he mark this season. He played about yeah, eight, eight yeah. games, I think. Yeah. Um, I think he had back trouble, didn't he? And, and hamstring trouble as well at the time, if I remember yeah. rightly. Um, but, um, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a class act. So, um, And it's, it's interesting to see um, the way things do evolve the following season. And ultimately... Because of Hoddle being there, of course, we then get Hullet, um, and uh, that that leads to the 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 seeds of the uh, of the great sides that we begin to see that evolve from this this original setup. So, I mean, I thought it was a a really successful season because we got to the cup final. I I thought that um, regardless of how we we played early on, the very fact that we had we had done something we hadn't done for twenty four years was uh, was uh, fantastic. And I so and I remember. Get, remember, the cup was huge still in those days. Huge, yeah, it was really absolutely. important. Yeah, but also, but to me, it was a, that it, the season was a success to me, despite us finishing 14th. Because with, and I think I'm sure Bates would have seen it exactly the same way that we would have done something we, we just hadn't achieved at all over the last 24 years. And you were saying only a couple of quarterfinals in that time, and we got to the final. And I think that was something he's never gonna gonna sack Hoddle or say it was a bad season because we generated revenue as well in a way that we hadn't for some yeah, time yeah. so uh no i i i i i, I was filled with um huge optimism and uh um and as we were saying the fact that we were in europe the following season was was such a boon it was it, it was, was it was i mean you know peacock had a great yeah. season steen yeah. had a massive impact i think it was really interesting you know look when we look back to, to last season last when we were on it last week Karim becomes established as the number one. We had, you know, three different goalkeepers playing all the time last season. Uh, you know, Wise was in great form. Clarkey was playing the best football of his career, according to Hoddle. He was the well, that's player. Why of the... He played all the time. He played. I mean, fifty-one yeah. times didn't he play? Was it no forty-two? Was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Karim played fifty-one, but Clark, right. Clark was player of the season. Yeah. Uh, Johnny Spencer was impressive. The Diddy men were all doing it. It was, you know, there was a lot, and there were, you know, youngsters were still coming through. I mean, Craig Burley, you know, was brilliant towards the end of the season. So there was a lot, there was a lot of potential there that I think was very easy to see. It's really interesting what Hoddle says about this season in in the season review. Just to paraphrase it, really, he says we've got European football next season. Uh, we've, we've been more successful than recent times. But I won't be happy until I've won something. And if the players don't have that attitude, they won't be here for very long. And I think, in a sense, that was perhaps the most important thing. You know, this was a great a great player. Waddle won quite a lot in his career, you know. He wasn't going to settle for a bunch of travellers. 
You know, he wanted decent players in and he wanted to win stuff and he wanted to, you know, to get the club back to where he felt it, it properly belonged. So I think it's very, it was a, we were at a very interesting stage in Chelsea's history in this year. I really do. Mark? Yeah, I think Hoddle, you could almost, you know, we start the show, talk about Tim's book and obviously mention Tommy Doherty. This is almost like a Tommy Doherty, sort of like Doherty used to say, you need three seasons as a manager. You come in on your first season, you know, you observe what you've got. You begin to sort of decide who you're going to keep, who you're going to get let go. You begin to make your changes in your second season and you reap your rewards in the third season. And I think it's really in the third season where we really begin to see some great football, helped by Hull, of course, under Glenn Holder. So, you know, maybe maybe a shade to the dock here with less controversy. Mm. Final word to you, Tim. Interesting. I just looked at the league table. We only won two away games that season, but we won 11 home games. If we'd had a decent away record, we'd actually have finished in the top half. So we weren't that far away. Um, and I just think he, he needed, as Mark said, to work out who he wanted and who he didn't and to, to come up with a system he needed. And that wasn't going to happen overnight because football under Porterfield and Webb was so different. He was never going to be able to come in on day one. And, and transmit his ideas. And he probably was arrogant in terms of his coaching because of his own ability. But he, this was the start of the transformation of the club. You, you could say that all the wilderness years of the 80s and the early 90s, in terms of competing at the top of, at the, top of the league, things started to change that season. And then your, your future um, broadcast will, will cover you know, the next two hodl seasons. But he put all the building blocks in place. And I think... We were in a far better place that close season than we were 12 months earlier. Mm. Far better. Couldn't agree more. Um, what a huge amount of fun this has been tonight. Just very quickly, if you, I mean, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. It's been, I mean, you know, I was AWOL, so it was really lovely to hear it from you three who were, who were there for most of it and, and getting, you know, your insight on it. It's been fascinating. Really enjoyed it. Um, if you lot who are listening to this have enjoyed it even half as much, uh, then uh, there's something you can do to... Uh, to uh, kind of validate that, if you like. Uh, we do have a Patreon, a Chelsea Fancast Patreon, and it helps uh, me cover all the costs of running the shows, etc., etc., etc. But not only that, if you do join up, you become a member of our uh, hilarious Discord group where you can uh, avoid Twitter on a match day and uh, talk to each other and and uh, see some of my pithy comments. They're usually rather short and pithy because I'm too busy watching the game, but it's great fun. It, it really is. And there's a really good bunch of people in there. Uh, we've also got our Premier League predictions league coming back very soon. So I will be letting you all know about that because there's a lot of the people in the Premier League predictions league who get into Discord too. And we we uh, basically... Uh, moan about the fact that we're doing so badly <laughs> to be honest uh, and of course if you do sign up you get a um, if you want one you get a mini a mini Kerry Dixon banner that's not a mini Kerry Dixon it's a mini Kerry Dixon banner like it, like hanging up in the uh, the Matthew Harding end so there you go patreon.com forward slash Chelsea fancast right we will be back uh, next Monday to do season 94-95 where it really starts hotting up again lots of European football to get our teeth into next week uh, and I can't for the life of me remember who's going to be on but again if I have a quick look I can tell you that it will be uh, me obviously and uh, JK uh, and Mark of course uh, the Holy Trinity and um We've got Dane Whittle with us next week. I haven't had Dane on for a while, so that'd be nice. So there we go. Don't forget to check that out. Uh, right. Uh, 
Tim, what an absolute delight having you on the show. It's been lovely to see you. We haven't seen you for ages. Very much looking forward to seeing you on the 24th for our, for our knees up, by the way. Absolutely, yeah. I'll, I'll be there. And I've really enjoyed it tonight. Thanks for having me on. No, absolute pleasure. And I, my apologies for not getting you involved on the 24th in the first place, but Mark's brilliant. He just kind of, he reads my mind and then does it when I forget. No, so no, that, that's fine. I'll, I'll look forward to seeing you there. That'd be lovely. I can't wait. It'd be great fun. Uh, Mark, as always, uh, the brain, the, the, the brains of an otherwise no-brain outfit. You've been fantastic as ever, my friend. And I've really loved your, your personal anecdotes tonight. They've been hilarious. Brilliant, Mark. Brilliant. Brilliant show tonight. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, Brilliant. it's been great fun. Great stuff, mate. I'll see you next week, obviously. Your, 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 blues brother's story, your Blues Brothers story, Mark, is fabulous. Yeah. I love all of that. I've got more next week because we're in Europe. Yeah, <laughs> Brilliant stuff. And uh, Mr. Kidd, as for you, absolute pleasure seeing you as always. Been brilliant fun tonight. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's been, been fantastic. Thank you. Two, two great guests as always. Indeed. So. Right. Uh, we'll see you next week, people, for ninety four, ninety five. Hope you enjoyed this one. We look forward to seeing you then. Uh, take care. We'll see you next week. Up the Chelsea. 